Finders, keepers. Finders, keepers. Losers, weepers. Losers, weepers. Finders, keepers. Finders, keepers. Finders, keepers. Losers, weepers. I saw old daddy down out by the pier. He must have got my board because mine isn't here. But now I know. Welcome to Tales from the East End, episode 63. And it's me, Gary Parsons. And of course, it's the prof, Carl Riley. Hello again. So we're going to talk about the win over Sligo a couple of weeks ago, the trip to Drogheda in the Cup on Friday, and uh, we have to apologise because we had no show last week, and uh, there, was a, there was a bit of a tirade against us, Prof. <laughs> well, there was no game last week because Dundalk was, was was bound, so we thought we'd save it for this week, and I noticed the comments have gotten a bit quiet lately, which is fine, don't expect people to post something every week, but as soon as we announced, first of all, last week, the previous week, that to be a delay then there was a backlash and then when we announced that there was no show my god the pitchforks were out oh, but in, between whatsapp groups and and facebook and twitter <laughs> you know we probably do this once a season just to, just to keep them keep them on their toes people were saying their Thursday routines were ruined forcing them to listen to LOI Weekly yeah the uh, the dulcet tones of yeah. Johnny Ward but we thought of a way to make it up to everyone because we've got a special guest today yeah we certainly do it's uh He's big and he's green. He's a goalkeeping machine. <laughs> it's Alan Manis. Uh, you're very welcome to Johnny Blues out. Thanks for having me. And uh, this is, I have to admit, I remember when, when we first signed you, uh, sorry, when you first signed back for the club, I was absolutely delighted because I was still quite young when you were forced in goal and it was the celebrity status was still there and we were doing an interview on the Rollstone you were parked in front of me <laughs> and when you jumped out of the car, I was like, oh shit, tell him <laughs> So I took the phone out and I started recording, but you looked and I think, and then you fucked the phone out the window because like, he's got to think I'm some sort of creep. He sent me the video, it was very stark. Yeah, because I was gonna, I was like, Alan Manis in the road song, all the WhatsApp groups, everyone's like, yeah, come on. But it was, it was kind of creepy in the end. But uh, like you said, you're very welcome to Johnny Blue. So what do you think of the place? In here, yeah, it's, as, mm. a, as I was saying before there, it's uh, it's some, some places have here and uh, some setup, a real proper man cave. Yeah. Davy Mack says that when we win a league or a cup, he's going to bring a gang of back here for a big sesh. Yeah, it sounds like fun. Yeah. In- including the FAI Cup. Yeah. yeah. Fall to the brim. So, uh, you're actually born in Ontario, but you moved back to Northern Ireland with your family at the age of seven. So, you've lost the twang anyway, the Canadian twang. Um, can you remember much from your childhood in, in Canada? Yeah, I remember bits and pieces. Like my my earliest memories are obviously of being in Canada. Um, certain things that I remember. Um, Did you play any sports? Yeah, well, I played football. Um, it was still the most played sport over there. Even though it's not really, you wouldn't really think that over over here. You know about Canada, but um, we played a lot of football and or soccer as we called it. And um, ice hockey is obviously quite big over there. And I remember in school that we used to play. Um, it was basically football with a tennis ball, but for some reason we called it foot hockey. Foot hockey, it makes <laughs> maybe, sense. Maybe because we didn't all have uh, hockey sticks and stuff in school, but yeah. Did you play but, goal? Um, no, no. Um, so I was like five, six years old, seven years old, and uh, we were involved with the team over there as well, and my brother and myself. And um, Everybody wants to be a striker at that age, don't Yeah, they? I don't remember <laughs> doing goals, but I'm sure that we, I would have done, um, you know, they change the goalkeeper every week, so... Is it true that no one from uh, the Canadian FA 
ever even approached you before you got your first cap for Northern Ireland 2004? No, there was never any any contact. Um, I, I wouldn't have ever expected there to have been either. I just think um, like there was would have been, wouldn't have been any way for them to have known about me or wouldn't have been on their, their radar. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't yeah. know what way things work. But um, I mean, I grew up in Northern Ireland and I was involved with the kind of younger levels in Northern Ireland at under 14s, under 16s, and stuff. So I was kind of involved from then. So. Um, I don't imagine that anyone in Canada would have been aware of me or would even, you know, there's no reason for them to have seen, like, even if they did know about me, there's, like, why would they even want to include me in their squads? I'm sure they had plenty of mm. goalkeepers. In, I think it's a case Canada. of the player actually letting them know themselves, isn't it? Possibly, or maybe their agent getting involved. And let's say, for instance, you were interested in playing the Canadian national team, you could have said to your agent or something like that, you could have said, listen, go on to the Canadian FA, let them know I'm eligible. Hmm. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that maybe that happens sometimes as well if they don't dig deep enough and they don't have the intel to actually find out about these players. Tom got a cap from for Canada. Yeah, born in Israel, but he was actually playing in Canada. Well, you said about having an agent there as well. I mean, people that are fifteen, sixteen don't have agents as well. So true, yeah. And when I was that age, it wasn't even in my mind like you know, are Canada going to contact me at the time? It was like. Um, you know, I'm involved with Northern Ireland, so that's great for me. And you know, that, that's all you kind of think about. So. So uh, you went to Euro 2016 reuniting with Michael O'Neill. Although Michael McGovern played all the games, what was the experience like in uh, the Euros? It was a really good experience, as you would um, as you would imagine, um, seeing how how everything is run and being at all the games. And obviously, we were we um, had two goalkeepers on the bench, so I was on the bench for the games. Um, and obviously, for Northern Ireland to be at the at such a big competition. It was amazing to be part of it all and to see it all and um, just to see how, how just to be... Just be at a major tournament like that. Exactly, yeah, just because Northern Ireland hadn't been involved for such a long time and the team had done so well and it was just great to be there and be, be part of it all and, you know, all the players that were there, obviously everyone wanted to be involved in the games but only 11 can be at one time and then a couple of subs that would come on so there were obviously the people that weren't involved where there was, you know, disappointment but... Um, in that sense but at the same time it's still great to be there but to even make the squad itself must have been a feather in your cap and must have been a real proud moment to even realise you're on the plane you're going to the European Championships it, it was um, and for me as well like growing up uh, and I'd never kind of expected to be involved at the international level um, uh, at, uh, when I was 16, 17, 18 you know I never kind of thought I'll go on and play or be involved with the senior team and it just wasn't something that I would have expected because it was playing um, under eighteen level at, at Linfield and you know training one night a week at school and then one the, night at that time I think we were one night we went to two nights at one point and then we went to three nights this is under eighteen level so right. um, I went to went to two nights and then eventually we were three nights with the senior team uh, at Linfield but um, as I say there's guys that were went across to England and Scotland when they were sixteen seventeen eighteen. And you know you're kind of thinking, well, the damn guys are going to go on to play for the senior team, and when you know the ones that are staying in in, uh, in the Irish league or whatever aren't going to be involved. So, did you ever have any trials? This is something I always loved delving into as a kid. Did you ever have any trials with any English clubs or anyone like that? Did you ever go abroad? Bradford City when just before Rovers, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I actually had quite a few trials from around 16 onwards. Um, I had a few trials and. Some went okay, and I think a couple of times it was quite close to getting opportunities, and 
there was one time I um, went to the team and, and things were looking quite good there. I'd done quite well in the trial. They'd asked me to play for them in the FA Youth Cup, um, which I'd agreed to do and I was delighted to do that. I'd signed the papers to do that and then I uh, injured my foot in school. The week Ron before Finn the first did something similar as well. He's, he's key played in the FAU Cup as well. Mm-hmm. He got injured. Cambridge I got injured. He had signed. I was going to go over. I was still in school doing my A-levels and uh, I was going to travel over and be involved with the games and, and stuff like that. And we'd all agreed to do that. As I, as I say, I hurt my foot in training before the first... I'm not in training. I hurt my foot in school um, before the first a week before the first game, and there's no way I could have played in the first game with that. And then, so they played someone else um, who was already at the club, and they said, "Look, we've, we've played him already. We're going to keep him in," and, and that was the end of it. So that, that kind of finished any um, opportunity there. And which club was that? Do you mind me asking? It was Everton. Everton, yeah. Yeah. So it was quite a, a hard thing to take at the time, but it's part of part of life, isn't it? Just on Northern Ireland again, though. As you say, you didn't expect to be in the international fall, but looking back now, you're not kind of surprised you don't have more caps because you're playing at a high level for St. Johnson for so long. Do you not think you'd have more than you do? I I, I, um, I do think that, um, and it's something that I I think about, I have thought about a lot, that I was involved for quite a long time with the squad. Um, I think it was something like 11 years um, uh, <coughs> and to get uh, only you know, 9, 10 caps or whatever out, out of it, on the one hand, as I say, it's good because I never thought I would be involved, and I thought it's you know more caps than I thought I would get. But then at the other, at, at the same time, then it's you know I really feel I deserve more. The manager said to me that um, he felt that I, deserve, I deserve more as well. But those you're all a boss at Rovers. Yeah. you're the only man to pay for O'Neill and at Rovers and Northern Ireland. So you knew yeah. you, you knew what you could do. Well, yeah, I definitely do think that. Um, I'm I'm quite happy with what I got, but I know that I, I could have got more and I feel like I should have got more. And there was things that happened at times where, you know, maybe I, I could have got caps in certain games where it didn't happen for some reasons and it's just something I have to live with. So um, you just get on with things. I think there was there was a tour in 2010 and I think, but there was a derby on that summer as well. So you chose to stay with Rovers. And I remember, remember I, I remember reading in the media this conversation you had with Nigel Worthington when you signed for Rovers. So could you recall that conversation? I think I know what you're referring to. It was in terms of... Yeah. Um, I don't uh, think he approved of the move to Rovers, was it? No, I remember exactly well, what he said. But yeah. yeah, I don't really want to get into um, kind of private conversations, although yeah, things, I, I did kind of say what, what was mentioned, I guess, at the time, so it's not really that private, but it was more yeah. in terms of Obviously, at the time, I was at Linfield. Um, I was trying to get uh, full-time football in England, Scotland uh, at the time. And as you say, I had a couple of trials after leaving Linfield and nothing happened. And I uh, had the opportunity to join Shamrock Rovers, um, which to me, thought I thought, you know, was, was a good opportunity in terms of I'd met the manager, liked the manager. My old goalkeeping coach, Tommy Wright, was, was there, which I enjoyed working with him. And, you know, I thought that would benefit me as well. And so I'd done that um, and just... And then the next time the squad was together then um, and he just kind of said to me and it just uh, it, there was probably a slight disappointment from from his point of view that um, I couldn't get something in England or Scotland basically and, and that was that and I think that they kind of want people playing over there and they, they did at the time and, and probably still do just because it's seen as a higher level which I guess is, is fair enough from, from, I, don't, I think that's unfair I think that's unfair well, I think just, it, it was an uphill struggle from yeah. there on in anyway but um, after seven years in Scotland, uh, you're back in Ireland and you're living with your own family here now. So it's um, what's the experience like back in Ireland so far? 
It's been good. Um, the reason we came back, obviously, is uh, to be closer to family. Um, we have a, a young son now as well, and um, that was the main reason for, for him to be around um, his grandparents and aunties, uncles and everything. So now that we've been back here, we've been able to see all our family every, if not every couple of days, then every week. Um, get to travel up and see my family as well every one to two weeks. Um, so compared to when we were in Scotland, it was once every couple of months. Um, so that was uh, the reason for doing that. And it's good, going to be good for him and good for us. I mean, we we kind of wanted him growing up, being around his family a lot. So mm. um, so we've been pleased that he's been able to do that. And Brazza was chasing you for a long time. There's a few meetings in the last year. Um, we met a couple of times. Um, there had been contact a couple of times. And, and then we met... Um, around I think maybe April time um, I, I I knew that we were coming back at the time and so he was aware of it and uh, and there was contact then and I, I'd come over and seen the training ground and stuff and met up with him and uh, we just kind of discussed things and you know um, I was quite impressed with everything. The Rollstone's looking great now in the moment, isn't it? Yeah it is it's very it's early days but still it's 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 impressive. It is, and uh, we have the Astro, which is what we're on at the minute, but there's also the grass pitch, which is, um, they say, hopefully it's going to be ready quite soon, but once we have that, I think it's going to be, you know, it's obviously going to be even better having the grass pitch as well, and I think everyone wants to get on the grass, but um, it's a proper um, professional club set up, I think. And obviously for red tape, you had to kind of wait around for a couple of months there, so was that kind of awkward or difficult? Uh. I knew, yeah, I knew that I wasn't able to play until first uh, of July. So there was that period where I finished my season in Scotland in the middle of May. Um, so I knew I had some time before starting back up again. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I came in and trained for a few days, sort of in between the break. Um, so I took a couple of weeks off. Came in and asked if I could come in and train for a couple of days, so I could kind of be familiar with everybody, and they were familiar with me. Um, and just to get a feel for things and then had another week or so off and then kind of come in not properly from then mm. uh, a week or two before the start of July and then it just went from there so yeah I mean it was good to have that break as well um, but also then I was kind of ready to come back in and you mentioned to us off here that you're looking to maybe do your goalkeeping coaching like at a higher level yeah I do want to do that I have my goalkeeping badge um, I've done that when I was at Linfield actually, so a long time ago. Um, and I've coached bits and pieces from then. And when we were in Scotland, I would have been able to take the odd session um, if the goalkeeper coach was away. For He, he used to take um, the coaching badges over there. So the, the odd time he wouldn't be there for one day or a couple of days. So he kind of left, left me in charge, which I really enjoyed doing, like planning the sessions and, and taking the sessions and getting experience working with the, the goalkeepers over there and obviously I was doing the training as well so it, it is something that I want to try and get more into as well and I know you played against Celtic but what was it finally like playing for Rovers again in the win versus Waterford yeah um, it was it was great to get a, get some game time again and to play for the club again a couple of good saves as well <laughs> yeah thanks well uh, you know I was, I was obviously happy it was my first game back so I was pleased to be part of the team that got the three points uh, which was an important three points as well obviously with them being a bit ahead of us and we couldn't really let them get any further away from us so we kind of knew we had the win um, and obviously from my point of view then I 
I felt it was important that I had a good game as as it always is. But you know, I think the last one you plucked out of it was certain goal. The, I think the double save. Yeah, I, I, re- I think I can add. I've replayed that loads of times, and it's like, oh, he's going to score here. He's <laughs> like, no, big Alice is going to take that one out. Yeah, well, I think he should have scored, and he, he, he'll, you know, if he had a hit it high, he would have scored. But for, I just, I'd made the first save, and then I think he scared him off. I think <laughs> it was. It was just, it was. it was a great day, wasn't it? Like we reviewed that a couple of weeks ago because like, it was your first game back. It was a win. Like they could have gone ten points clear. Now the gap was only one point. Mm-hmm. Massive turnaround. It, it was just a great day. Brilliant win. And uh, you played a Brazzer in 2009 and 2010, so him and Finner are the only familiar faces. But uh, like you said, when you went in, originally you had Tommy Roy. So a familiar face does help when coming into a new team. It can do, yes. Um, if if uh, the manager, um, Stephen Bradley, wasn't, wasn't here now then, and it was a different manager then, you know that manager maybe wouldn't have wanted me to come in, um, or maybe wouldn't wanted me to have come back to the club. So, I think it worked in my favour massively that I had played with the manager um, back at that time because, and I think he mentioned it as well that he, he knew what I was about and stuff like that. So um, I'm glad that anything I'd done back then, um, uh, you know, it, it had a good influence in terms of it came across well and, and that he wanted that um, from me again so uh, well, it worked out for me just a random memory actually from 2011 got to do with Ronan Finn the last minute equaliser against Bowles oh do you know what? this is brilliant we were only talking about this yesterday with my uh, brother as well because we I was telling him you were coming in you go for the corner and we're behind the goal and we're convinced you've headed oh, in. at the corner flag yeah. we're jumping around going Alan man it's just scored <laughs> unbelievable it would have been better but it was still great yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was funny. If I had a, actually got my head to it, I probably would have had it nowhere near the goal. So. <laughs> did but, you go up by your own account, or did you get told to go up? No, nah, um, to be honest, I, I always go up. I've done it yeah. so many times, even since then. Just if we're getting beat by one goal, I'll always go up for a corner, just because so I think. Why not? Even if you're no, even if you don't get like for, for me as a goalkeeper, if I see another goalkeeper come up at the end and you, and you're winning by one goal and you see another, the other goalkeeper, you're, you're thinking. Just don't let him score. You know, obviously, <laughs> yeah. obviously, it's don't let them score. But if he scores, then you know you're never gonna live that down. If a goalkeeper scores, so and it also like causes confusion then with the defenders because they already have a man picked up each, and they see the extra man. And so them for them, it's like who's going to throw them off a little bit? Yeah, they said. Well, they then it changes things because one of one of them has to pick you up or else leave you free. <laughs> and on that header as well, when you if you if you watch it as well, I. I run, but um, obviously I don't get it. But he probably pulls across the defender a bit and gives a bit more space, and so yeah. it causes confusion. Then, oh, everything that, happened for a reason on that yeah, one, yeah, yeah. definitely. We're down to ten men it. as well. That made it even sweeter. Yeah. David had been sent off, and uh, there was a story in the papers the other day about Spurs lodging a two hundred k bid for Gavin Bazunu. Now, this one is from Ray, <laughs> the owner. Has the owner is telling this one. Ray Wilson. He says, "What's Gavin's worth in your opinion?" I think he's trying to get you to bump up the the, the few quid. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've said I've said a lot in the last few weeks about Gavin, and people are probably aware of what I've said in terms of how how good I think he is. Um, it's hard to put a, a a number on people because. I've never been involved in that side of things, yeah. like how, how much is someone worth and stuff like that. But um, I certainly think that he can go on. He's he's proven that he can play first team at the club here and, and done a really good job. And uh, you know we could go on and do that for for many years if he if he decides to do that. I'm sure. Um, and yeah, I think he can play a higher level. And um, 
have a, have a bit of an idea what clubs over there look for. Um, not necessarily Premier League clubs like Spurs, because you know, obviously I've never been at a club like that. But I have an idea of what you know, kind of goalkeepers there are up in the Scottish Premier League and, and the leagues up there at, at that level at, at that age. And you know, Gavin could certainly um, join them clubs and, and go on and play. You know, at a higher level. So mm. um, at the age that he is now, you think so? Yeah. Well, I think that he could he could go to them clubs and then develop further mm. and then eventually play. If you know, obviously it's a big thing to be playing for for the first team here and to do it at that age um, do it in the league games that he played in but then also the European games it's um, it's very impressive so I mean, he, um, he stared down the, the AIK Stockholm Ultras like it was nothing <laughs> like eight hours nothing behind the sand he's just looking up at them going yeah that's alright I don't mind I'll just jump in here and save, make a couple of saves but the thing is as well he's he's very young and, and he's shown that he can play at that level but there's a lot ahead of him as well and it's I, I don't think that he he, um, that he will think this but you, you have to make sure that you, you have the right keep that mentality and don't think I've made it because yeah. I, I don't think he will think that he has a good mentality so um, but that's the type of advice you'd want to give him though as well like keep, keep your head on steady pretty much yeah. and, and, and don't think that you've made it already which is which is excellent advice in fairness and I think that, he, that he'll stay grounded uh, he seems to be that kind of person but it's part of like um a lesson like a life lesson but also a lesson as a footballer and as a goalkeeper that you'll go through things I think and then something will happen and maybe you'll think you know I shouldn't I was wrong of me to kind of act that way or think that way about things and you know it's it teaches you stuff you know as you go along and um but I think he's he's pretty level-headed and grounded so is he the best keeper you've seen at that age 16 yeah and I said that um when I was asked about him before and I based that on what I'd seen in training, but also then what I'd seen in games. Um, so I've, I have been around other goalkeepers at that age who, you know, would be the would be kind of the same level as Gavin in training. But the biggest thing for for any player is obviously what they do in the game because at the end of the day, training is very important. But if you can't transfer that over to the game, then it doesn't it's really pointless. mean anything yeah. uh, at the end of the day. So. For me, I was basing that on how, how Gavin is in training and then how I'd seen him in the games. And as I say, I've, I've been around other goalkeepers at that age, you know, 16, 17, 18, who, you know, are very good in training. But um, to be fair, I haven't seen some of them in games, so I can't compare that. And maybe I'd seen some of them in games, but not at the same level as first team level in, in, in this league. Maybe it was under 18 level, and, yeah. you know, so kind of hard to compare it but um, I just thought everything he'd done I'd, you know I'd said all this kind of stuff but his decision making and small things that maybe you wouldn't he seems very good with the ball at his feet as well yeah. I'm nearly sure I was told he was a striker before when it went in his younger years but he's he's very comfortable <laughs> with the ball at his feet yeah and that's important I think now for especially younger goalkeepers It's I know that teams in England and Scotland look for that a big a big part of that is how, how they play with their feet and almost to the point that they look at that ahead of the other side of goalkeeping with their hands. Not that that's not important, but it's just become so important that yeah. they have to be able to do that with their feet um, as well as their hands. When you were 16, you were in school, as you said, training one night a week with Linfield, working towards a professional career. Gavin is doing his leaving cert next year, and he's playing in 50,000-seater stadiums in the Europa League. It's just crazy. Yeah, um, but, you know... You, I kind of also think that um, with life and football, you kind of get what you deserve, and and he's deserved to get them opportunities, and um, not just get the opportunity, but but take the opportunity. Um, 
you know, when he when he came in uh, a couple of months ago, I don't know what his first game was because I I wasn't here at the time, but it might have been another or Bray. Um, it was. It was a small with Bray. Bray five nil. Yeah. So it's a case of like waiting for your opportunity, but then also taking it, and then so then he's deserved to get them opportunities to stay in, and then eventually get playing in the European games. So, um, but you mentioned that as well about his studies and and his training here. It's it's you know, it is a very professional setup they have here, and it. It's such a good opportunity for young players to be able to learn to improve as players but also prepare themselves for hopefully going on to higher level careers if that's what they want to do or into the you know into the first team here as well and then also there's a focus on the education which from i think is important and something that if anyone asked me i would say yes if you can do your education at the same time then, then do that that's an excellent idea because if the, the lads are training at half nine in the morning finish at maybe half two and they're going straight into college Ashfield, yeah. if they're going to go home they're going to probably study there's no time to mess around you could say as a as a youth is what is what other footballers would have done years ago whereas they would have had a lot of time in their hands and these young guys might have gone into trouble where I don't I just don't think they'd have the energy to even get into trouble because they're going to college they're doing training Darren Dillon's putting them through their paces and then they're going to college and then they go home and probably study a little bit as well so there's, it's a full day it really is a packed schedule for these young guys so it's, a, it's fantastic stuff that Rovers are doing and you said to me that when you were 16 you, were, you weren't even getting goalkeeping training so um, what was it just like a case of jumping in goal and having shots peppered at you or it was pretty much um, I mean there was people who would have tried to help and tried to do things but they had no real experience of goalkeeping coaching or playing or anything so it was maybe just like um just what they thought would 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 be helpful which is obviously better than nothing and it's good that people try and help you and actually do some stuff that would be um for for the goalkeeper um but there is a big difference between um just doing stuff from like from that kind of point of view in terms of you know just hitting the ball at the person and then actually coaching them in terms of teaching them what they need to be doing and correcting things like you know making things better positioning and things like that positioning just everything you know it's obviously that's what coaching is it's not just like putting someone taking someone through drills um it's it's um doing that but then you know correcting things to try and make them better and saying like you know if you do this this way it might it might help it help with certain things it might make it easier if you do this and that's what coaching is for me. Um, and yeah, well, I wasn't getting any of that at that at that point. And um, whenever you do get coaching for the first time, you just see the improvement in the the goalkeeper just you know dramatically just from learning how how you should do things. And on the topic of coaching, um, what do you make of Jose? We uh, we noticed some of his unorthodox methods. <laughs> the bouncy think, thing. Yeah, the the bouncy thing. We know what they call it. He him. has he has this board. It's actually like this. It's like the sheet of paper yeah. molding. And uh, I think the goalkeeper would throw a ball at it, and he it would just mm. bounce off in a different angle. So you'd have to get down to it. Has he done that with you? What, does he have a name for the for the bouncy board? <laughs> I haven't seen that yet with with Jose, but I I have done that with t- at least two or three coaches in the past over the yeah. years. So it's not not just something that Jose would do. It's um, I've done that was it with his invention, yeah. Yeah, I've done it with 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 quite a few goalkeeper coaches, um, and they have the one that, as you said, it's probably like kind of it would rebound off it. It would be like, it's like a joint washboard <laughs> type thing. Isn't yeah, it? and we done ones with um, they got a, a wooden board, um, specially made just with handles on this side and a wooden board, and it can be good for um, just like working on 
certain things like uh, reactions yeah and, reactions and you can kind of like mimic a header as well you know if you if the coach kind of stands say eight to ten yards away and the, you throw the ball to them and they kind of um deflected towards the goal it kind of mimics a header because yeah. if we try and do headers um you know if they threw the ball to the goalkeeper coach and they try to head it towards the goal we're not good enough at heading the ball to get enough um uh, work for the goalkeeper yeah. out of it so it's a bit easier to do oh, that's, that. pretty cool. that's the reason for things like that you should give a special mention to Kevin Horgan as well because he's probably the unluckiest man he in really the is. league at the moment because he was doing so well before he got injured and I think this was before you arrived out he made this amazing save against Cork probably second only to uh, Thompson in Belgrade I'd say yeah abs- absolutely stunning and we were yeah. What score was it? It was it was a pivotal save. We were winning one 0 just at half time. Yeah, yeah, just before half time. Yeah. Down to his right hand side, point blank stuff, and it was at a time when he was he was really under pressure because yeah. performance like we were struggling with our goalkeeping situation, and we have to get that back. and And he just put it up on the, our, our social media sites. Because what what a save! Just the way like said, it's it's just the way things are, isn't the it? The way it's things turn now. He had that injury in Richmond Park, and then Tomer came back, and then that prompted Gavin Bazuna to make his debut. And Gavin actually kept you out of the team for four weeks, Al. Yeah. Like, you couldn't have predicted any of this. Because mm-hmm. we, were, we were discussing this, and we were saying there's no way Gavin will start against Cork down there in Turner's Cross. And then he did start, and he saved the penalty as well. So we were thinking, this, 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 this kid is, is for real. So well, we'll move on quickly, and we'll talk about uh, your opinion. Who's the best goalkeeper in the world right now? Uh, just quickly, I just want to say about Kevin as well there because yep. um, I had seen the saves he made against Cork because uh, on the way up to Cork that, that day actually we had um, Jose had on his laptop kind of clips of the last time they played them right. and he showed it to the Gavin, myself and, and Kevin on the bus on the way up so we kind of, you know, you kind of get a feel of what, what they were like last time kind of thing. So I did see Kevin saves there and, and I, I agree that it was an unbelievable <laughs> double save and I, I said said that to Kevin after and said, said that was some, some saves he made there. So I hadn't seen anything um, up until then but uh, I heard he'd he done really well against them and I see him in training as well and I think he's very, very good. So um, just Quite the footballing well. family. I think the mm-hmm. younger brother made mm-hmm. his debut for Galway there recently as well. Even younger than, than the one who plays for Cork. The rifle, what's mm. his name again? Either way, column, column, and, and just so there's an even younger guy who's playing for Galway now. So mm. quite the football family. And uh, like you said, who's your, who's your opinion on the best goalkeeper in the world right now? Um, for me, a couple of years ago, I think people would be saying the likes of Neuer, um, but he obviously hasn't played the last over a year now with his foot. He broke his foot, so I don't even think you can say him. He hasn't played enough games at all, really. Um, That's a lot fair. Of people, yeah. A lot of people say De Gea. Um, for me. It, he, he is one of the best, but I kind of think that um, uh, Ederson at Man City is better um, in terms of he's more effective for Man City, the way they play. I think that De Gea is obviously world-class and one of the best in the world, but I think that in a way that he he doesn't get um, maybe the same things said about him because he makes so many spectacular and brilliant saves and, and saves so many points for Man, Man United by doing that, that he can get away with things in terms of maybe like crosses come in and he, he won't necessarily come and try and deal with them. Um, and it doesn't get mentioned, but I think if it was Mignolet 
Arcarius, especially Mignolet. Mignolet um, gets an awful time in the press. <laughs> but well, this is the thing. I think there's, there's things that maybe crosses will come in and Mignolet, if he wasn't to come and try and deal with a cross either, then people would say, that's that's a keeper's ball, he needs to deal with that. But if it's De Gea, I don't even think it gets mentioned because it's De Gea. And I think that's something about goalkeeping that um, maybe you could say De Gea's earned the right to, to get that said about him. But at the same time if it's the same kind of cross to the same area then it should be the same thing for all goalkeepers so it's it's something I've noticed about him that he um, and obviously he's you know miles better than I could ever be and obviously world class and stuff but it's just something that I've noticed but I think that in terms of Ederson um, the way that Man City play there's very few goalkeepers that uh, come in and kind of change goalkeeping and Schmeichel probably done it Peter Schmeichel done it you know Back when I was younger, he changed goalkeeping. Like everyone wanted to play, play like him. He kind of made famous his uh, the way he spread. exactly. And he so I think he changed goalkeeping. But then I think Ederson last year probably changed it again in terms of how they can play with their feet, how he set up attacks, and um, but his whole game, whole all around game is very very good. He makes great saves. He'll command his area like he's very very brave. Um, but obviously his strength is playing with his feet, and he's I think he, he changed goalkeeping well. again. Yeah, and and so for me, probably someone like him, um, and it's probably like moved on now from from the likes of Buffon that people like like yeah. him now this younger generation coming through. What about most overrated keeper? Any opinion um, on that? That's a hard one. Um, I'm not too sure. Um, I'd have to think about that. I can't really. Nobody comes to mind. Um, I can't. We can pop back to it. Yeah, mm. I can't think. Like people, as I say, people are probably where they are for a reason. So mm. I don't think anybody. There's nobody that I think. Oh, he's he's terrible. How has he got to that level? <laughs> but um, <coughs> Jared Doherty. Yeah. Sorry, something in my throat there. <laughs> you were taking it to though. <laughs> it's funny as well that you're talking about how you, people rate goalkeepers because even in the Premier League, if you look at goalkeepers, like they all do things differently. It's not like um, they're exactly the same. Like you have goalkeepers that play in the Premier League who couldn't do play with their feet the way they're nowhere near Ederson in terms of how they play with their feet yeah. and you know it's something we were talking about the other day how some goalkeepers will distrib- distribute um, the ball out of their hands and some you know they do this like uh, side volley and keep it low and yeah but that's what a lot of goalkeepers try and do now but like at the same time you look a lot of goalkeepers don't do that in the Premier League Peter Cech and Lloris they just kick it in the air like uh, kick it high in the air the same that's way immediately a 50-50 ball then it can be, but but the point is that um, you know I think people think you need to you need to be able to do this with the ball. You need to be able to kick the ball like this the way they do it. But um, but then you look at the highest level and they don't all do that. Yeah, so yeah. some it, it can work and you you know it can it can be beneficial, but it's not you know maybe completely necessary. You can you can tell that you you genuinely study the art of goalkeeping. <laughs> There's that's quite an intricate conversation. This is turned into I'm, I'm I'm totally into it. It's brilliant. Um, so we're going to build up to the game and we've had some media recently and if you had have seen it we had this clip it was called Nothing Beats Being There and we're trying to promote going to games and mm. it was a fantastic it was what 17 seconds but it was just it was a new little snippet yeah. amazing it was just showing a well known Rovers fan Wacker O'Toole from <laughs> Crumlin only lives down the road and uh, it's just filming him and a friend at the Bowls game and just a reaction. And it's just showing the two of them talking, but watching the game, really, really focusing on the game. And then you can tell a cross or something go. I think it was Danny Carr's goal. Cross goes in and he goes up to try and head it. And the two of them are doing it. 
and then the goal goes in they just celebrate yeah. well, it's just it's a moment that you'd never capture <clears throat> if you weren't trying to do it it's, it's fantastic and I think I must have watched it a hundred times <laughs> Wacker went viral got, yeah Wacker went viral just got us in the mood for the game did you see the first one now that video nothing beats being no I didn't see it it was, it was quite clever because normally like when you see you imagine trying to promo a game mm-hmm. Tala the experience you think show goals show crosses everything it was a two minute video of everything before the game it was like people in the crowd walking mm-hmm. in to, to the turnstiles standing around watching the players come on the pitch the last thing in the video was tip was kick off mm-hmm. it was and we really could unusual we could identify yeah. every bit of that video that was the thing not a single ball kicked in the video yeah. and it was one of the best yeah. I've ever seen I'll have to watch that it's yeah. funny how you said about um, about the guy kind of almost acting as if he's trying to hit yeah. the ball because when my dad um, used to go to watch my games um, he used to travel to games like everywhere but um, when uh, people he was sitting beside would have said to my dad, you know, if, if I had made a save or something, like they'd say to my dad, you know, if you were going like that. Yeah, so you, you saved the witch. You, you were acting out the save at the same time. So, uh, yeah, and I, I know that freedom from going to watch my brothers playing and stuff that, you know, and just watching games, things myself, you kind of do act it out when uh, you're, yeah. and it just shows how passionate and. Once you're uh, wrapped up in a game, you just yeah. get involved totally. And other uh, uh, pretty much stuff, Gary. Do you remember that picture we mentioned on the last show about the, the five lads? in um, Sweden and one of them was in a robe and the light oh, was yeah. above him it looked like Jesus the biblical scene yeah Paul Feeney confirmed that was actually him the the Ryan Connolly looked like oh Ryan Connolly yeah, yeah. and uh, was it intentional no he, he actually broke it down like step by step how the photograph happened it won the last one of the fans it was in Copenhagen yeah. I think it's Copenhagen isn't it yeah it's Copenhagen and he he fit like eight of them into his apartment and it looked like a slum but one of them had a towel draped around them <laughs> and it, it was like a robe from the like, biblical times and then the light that was above him just happened to look like a halo around him <laughs> and he was just standing there going like this and everybody else looking up from going like this but it's just such a random fall it looked like they were it was like a, something out of the bible it was, it was hilarious and uh, we Chef Ray uh, have you had the pleasure of tasting Chef Ray's food yet? Out of Glenmalore, so we've heard your body is a temple, so maybe it's not for you. <laughs> well, he brings food into the dressing room, so I assume <laughs> I think he feeds you. Yeah. There's a chef Ray, he, uh, I think he feeds the team as well. Yeah. And he ran out of food. He ran out of, what did he run out of? I think Swedish meatballs the week before for AIK, but either way. Well, luckily this is the one week I didn't want food. Yeah. So So he ran out of grub, and it was just that good. So um, The reaction was even worse than the reaction to our show yeah. not being on last week. Just saying something. They're quite a demanding bunch of offers fans at times. But he was uh, full of apologies and um, we look forward to the next dish that he's serving up. But it was great to see Con Murphy back on Irish TV doing commentary on the game for Air Sport. Yeah, I'll send you a bill, Con, for the stats. Yeah. I don't think... Did he Did he plug you? I don't know. I never listened back to it. We're going to have to get him to plug yeah. our show as well considering he's plugging every other League of Ireland <laughs> podcast. One thing though, the game being on TV... It was on air sport and it was in the suite. That makes it even harder to get out of there at half time. It's hard enough anyway. If you like if you walk from the east end over to the west end and get a drink and try and do all that at half like fifteen minutes and try and get out for the second half, it's impossible. Never mind the game is on the screen. And the bars And open. you're just tempted to just start to stay there. And I had to force myself away. <laughs> so I remember last time we played Stoigo, I think Melee scored like two minutes after the break. Yeah, we missed that one. No, I think I saw. No, I missed it. Yeah, you always miss it. <laughs> I was like, I was conscious of that. I was like, my score now. I had to leave. Yeah. 
And before the game, we caught up with John, the legend, Morphy, who was the match sponsor on the day. And Bill Gleason had to present the prof with 100 quid for winning the sweep. And uh, I got 25 for being the worst, I think. Who was I, Costa Rica? No, miss, Messi missed the penalty. Oh, yeah, Messi missed the penalty. So that's what I got the 25 quid for. Right, so uh, we're going to have a little chat with John, the legend now. And uh, here's the audio. Okay, so we're here with John, the legend Morphy, apparently. <laughs> so so we've been told. And yeah. he's the match sponsor today. So tell us a bit about your yeah, nickname, first of all, and how you're involved with the hoops. Yeah, uh, well, 1958, when uh, that's actually when I first started following the hoops, we were beaten by Bowes and uh, what you call it? Bowes were only amateurs at the time, and the Beatles won the rounds of the Cups. The worst day ever supporting Shamrock Rovers. And uh, moving on from that, in case I forget to mention, Frank O'Neill was the best ever. Was your number one? Yeah, my number one. Forget Gary Twig and the rest of them. <laughs> Frank O'Neill was my, uh, still is, always will be, uh, what you call it. And uh, managers, Jim McLaughlin, and hopefully, and I do have great hopes for this man out here, Stephen Bradley, he's going to have to take an awful lot of stick yet, but he's going to bring a lot of joy to Rovers, in my opinion. So you've got, a, you've got faith in the long term with Stephen oh, Bradley? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, I think, if, if we just be patient. And what do you think so far this season? How do you think we're faring? We're, uh, starting, to, we're starting to put a bit of form together. We, we, are, we are actually, and I never really lost faith with uh, Stephen Bradley, G- genuinely now, you know, because uh, what you call it, it swings and roundabouts, you know, when you, you see great seasons, and then you have, but you have to take the, the rough with the smooth, as they said, you know. And I, when I have to mention too, I was abroad with the United Nations, the Congo, Cyprus, and I was a Rover supporter. So you were flying the flag all over the oh, world. Oh, without a doubt, and, and got stick for it as well, Brian. <laughs> Where are you from originally? Originally Dublin. Yeah. But uh, I spent most of my time now in the army in, uh, what you call it, Dubai Barracks in Nace was where I joined up, and then Griffith Barracks here in Dublin. And you know where the National Museum is, uh, Collins' yeah. Barracks. Well, then put the National Museum in there because I served in there. But <laughs> that's only joke now. <laughs> But um, yeah, so you're happy enough with the season and how it goes. Oh yeah, this season. And um, do you think we can get that twenty fifth cup? Oh, wouldn't I die happy if we do? Believe you me. I'm trying to get get the twenty fifth cup and win the league. But uh, oh no, I die happy if we do. But uh, I have, actually, it could be this year. You know, you, you just never know. Mm. You know uh, what you want. But I believe the future is green. But so, uh, John. Um, Thanks for turning up today, and this John, the legend Morphy, the match sponsor of today's game. Uh, and a very happy Rover supporter. <laughs> Thanks. John, what a character. Yeah, he was. He was, he was uh, and you know what? His knowledge was fantastic, wasn't it? Just he, was, a, he was dying for a chat. Just having you bell him, his voice, his jacket. I just thought, we're going to write, we're, we're going to hear you, mightn't say much. We could have been there for the whole game. After the, after the interview, he just goes to me. Nice to meet you, Professor. <laughs> yeah, Professor. Everybody calls you that now. And then he, wa- he went off looking like he was heading off to an archaeological study or something. Yeah, it was like, um, it reminded me of the, the guy of uh, Jurassic Park, the glasses. Dave Attenborough in Jurassic Park, that's what he was quite saying. Oh, yeah. So we'll talk about the team. And we had Brandon Cavanagh, who went out and Aaron Green came in for his first start on the wing. And Green was... Uh, he played the last 20 minutes up front and we two makeshift fullbacks because Sam Bone, he played ahead of the injured Boyle and Lukey Borms on the team sheet but he pulled up in the warm-up and Ali G was slotted in. So we'd makeshift fullbacks for this game. It was quite funny actually when like five minutes into the game I turned to Gar, I was looking at a left-back and I was like, 
is that is that Addy Gilchrist? Yeah, and I was like, who's, who's Roy for? Like, it's Sam Baum. Like, completely mm. makeshift. He hadn't played since May 19th in Sligo, Addy. And Luke was on the team sheet, as you said. We just presumed it was Luke, but it looks like they're getting taller. Like, I had to triple check it like it was him. Mm. We were in an early scare as well, and uh, David Colley hit the bar. And it was, do you know what, when I, did you watch Soccer Republic? No. Uh, it was actually a really good move. It was a great team move. Yeah. It was a great team move, and uh, we were lucky to get away with it because that's what I was saying to you. I said the last thing we needed was an early goal to to concede an early goal because we really mm. need to push on. Because I think, what what were you saying in the, the previous show? Actually, it's only Sligo. <laughs> yeah, I was tempted favour though. Tempted favour. You looked dead and buried for that one though. Al. For the when I hit the bar. The bar. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, go to it. I have it if I had been a bit lower, but. Um, it didn't go in, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. you know. And then we had Watts, Prof. Yeah, that's probably only a chance in the first half. You saw a burst through the middle. He looks really dangerous with the those box. positions, doesn't he? And their keeper made a save. But, uh, yeah, as you say, like a midfielder and a centre-back as their full-backs. That's five injured full-backs now, I count. You've got Trevor Clark long-term. Yeah. Sean Cavanagh, Joey O'Brien, Ethan Boyle, Luke Byrne. Yeah, Lukey. And Lukey, I think Lukey got some good news. I think it's only going to be two weeks out. Possibly just a bit of bruising. So uh, we're delighted to hear that news. That's two games in a row someone pulled up in training. Or sorry, the warm-up. Pulled up in the warm-up, yeah. yeah. It was the week before, it was... Waterford. Waterford. Was, it, was that Joey O'Brien? Was it? it could have been Joey. Yeah, so. Yeah. But the rain was pouring down. It's been a while since we've seen some rain in Tala. Considering the summer that we've had. And uh, I, think we, I think there was history made. There was actually two fell trolls in a row. <laughs> as professionals I don't I don't think I've ever seen and they were do you know what there was a tour there was a tour and it was a blatant one I think the ref was just like I can't give this again this is embarrassing <laughs> because there were blatant foul trolls and it's something that you never see in, in, in League of Ireland yeah so the Watts goal prof um, bit of a scramble in the box wasn't it yeah it was like Finn down the left keeper pammed away and what do we always yeah. talk about we always talk about the pass before the assist and it was Aaron Green on the left with a lovely dink ball in over Finn. And Finn, this is what we were talking about with Finn. We want, where do we want Finn? We want him in the toward, in their half, breaking past defenders and doing what he does best. And he was excellent for that goal. Hmm. Excellent for that goal. And uh, Joel pulled it back in. Carr kind of scuffed at it. Yeah. I don't know if he actually even got a touch and he tried to lay it off for. Um, I think it hit him more than Dylan. And Dylan buried it in fairness. First goal for the club. Mm-hmm. And uh, he could have got him at 11 to 1. First goal score. 11s. Nice. Yeah. I think Maloney had him. Yeah, he certainly did. Yeah, and we ended last week's show with the Dylan Watts song, so we we can take partial credit. Yeah, I think so. We influenced us slightly, and it was great to see Mikey Drennan back in the League of Ireland as well. He nearly scored with a left footed drive, a great parry by yourself, Al. Um, stinged the palms, I think, <laughs> but you had it covered. Yeah, Adam uh, Morgan's gone from them now. See that. Who's who's gone? Adam Morgan. Remember Adam Morgan. The, yeah, the he was the great white hype. We were we were hoping to land him at the start of the season. Remember the hype build? Yeah, up massive, him? massive. And now he's gone. They released this like, like really epic video about him when he signed and all. Just, I think yeah. it just it fell flat in its arse to be honest. Um, well, Reese McCabe always plays well for them. Yeah, he's when a good we played him, he's always pulling the strings. Stick the, the ponytail. Have you seen a few of What number is he? I think he's number seven. Seven. Yeah, ponytail. Ponytail. Yeah. yeah. Really yeah. good player for Sligo. Yeah, I thought he was he was very good. Yeah. Um, he actually came and trained with us at St. Johnson a few years ago. Oh, right. um, oh yeah. And I thought he, he was good. I was aware of him that he, he played for Rangers and stuff before that. Mm. So I knew I that he was at, that. I knew that he was mm. at Sligo actually, and um, I thought he was very good on the night. Yeah, he is. He's a good player. He's, he's got from the halfway line earlier this season as well. 
He tried it against me on on, <laughs> on uh, Friday night, like, like in the game. He tried it as well. So um, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So they reduced to ten men as well for the last ten minutes. So I think it was Seamus Sharkey was as the second yellow all day. Aaron Bolger yeah. completely did him, sent him for a hot dog, and uh, yellow card all day. And unlucky from Brandon Cabinet tipped around the corner. Yeah. Boy, so the ref sent Sharkey all the way back to Isle of Man. <laughs> and the uh, I think it was Brandon Cavanagh took the free kick yeah, after it. it was saved, and what's the goalkeeper of Sligo? Is it Beanie? Beanie. He's Mitchell English, Beanie, yeah. He got him from Chelsea. But Sligo kind of sat in, didn't they? To kind of try and frustrate us. But eventually we wore them down. You they impressed me in the first half, but in the second half they, they, they were kind of bereft of ideas. There's, there's nothing really happened for them. Mm. Do you think we were a bit flat maybe in the first half out and then second half we picked it up? Maybe a wee bit, um, as well as that, I thought that they their tactic was probably to get men behind the ball and, and try and catch us in the break a bit more, which is where their opportunity came from when they, they hit the bar. Um, like you could see that when we had the ball, our defenders had the ball, like they weren't pretty much all in their own half, which makes it difficult for us then to try and get any sort of space in their half and try and create anything. Um, and they got their opportunity from from the first half, and uh, when they when they caught us in the break a bit, um, and as you say, it was a really good move from them. Um, in the second half, I think it was for us, it was a, a case of doing things a bit quicker and trying not to let them get settled behind the ball and getting you know all set up in their shape, um, and just in general do things a bit quicker. And when we do um, move the ball quickly, there's not many teams that can stop us. Huh. Once we get into that mode, we, we play excellent football, and it's really good to watch. So D- Dylan Watts, air sport man, the match. Any arguments with that? No, I think he's he's been excellent since he's come in. I was only here just before him, obviously. Um, so I didn't really, I hadn't seen him before that. Um, I, th- I think he was at Bohemians before that, wasn't he? On yeah, one. he um, certainly was. Yeah, so I, they're not too happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I'd never seen him before being here, but um, he was man the match at the in the earlier game of the season. He ran the show. And he scored the winner in the ninety yeah. minute. Yeah. Imagine he scored against Bowers next week. That's what we're looking for. That's, yeah. that's what we want. I thought he was he was brilliant. I, th- I think he has been brilliant. He's he's very very good on the ball and and um, he'll always take the ball. And, and you said about how how good we look when we do pass yeah. it and stuff. And it, it, it has impressed me a lot how how good people are on the ball here and how much they want to take it as well. Um, he seems uh, so naturally able to just strike a ball with any foot. Like when a ball could come at him with. 60 kilometers an hour and he could just strike it first time and, and mm. put it onto someone's foot he seems so natural like even that shot he took in the, against Ligo he's just so natural from that position and it's it's he's probably one of the most natural strikers of the ball that I can remember playing for overs and even creatively one moment stood out to me was he had this curling pass from the right that Finn took down and suddenly Finn was just like 20 yards out mm. that's when Finn does his we've, damage we've had aside from Sam Bowen who like plays some really nice, pa- nice passes I think we've been missing someone like that. Yeah, some, just a bit over the defence with yeah. one pass. I think so. I think. Jeez, I can't even think back to who was the last pinger of a ball. Joey and Dog was was a fantastic strike of a ball. He wasn't with us for that long. You were thinking though, it might catch up to Dylan this game because we weren't expecting him to play in Waterford because he played in both legs mm. against um, AIK, but he played in Waterford, played in this game again. But uh, I mean, the transition from part time to full time. Is a big deal made of it. He's know. a fit guy. It's yeah. just he's he's a he can run all day. You know, it's like Finner. Finner, I'd say Finner does ten to twelve kilometers in every game. He just doesn't stop. But we move on to Sam Bowen as a full back. So I make sure full back, and he uh, had a great game. 
he just he transformed himself into a fullback. Whereas other players might just say, "Okay, I'll sit back and I'll do a job." Whereas Sam just thought, "Right, I'm a fullback. I'm gonna get forward. I'm gonna try and swing some balls in." Like he 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 really enjoyed it. It was an adventurous time from. So we were really happy with that. He's probably lucky that assist for Shazi though, because it was so low, and Shazi made through himself had most of it. Anyone can make it up across. Excellent stuff. So we're really happy with that at the moment. So um, with Sam Bone, they changed up. Have you heard the song for Sam Bone? I don't think so. It's, uh, what was the? How does the actual song go? What's the original? It's the old milk ad, isn't it? The old milk ad. Them, them bones, them yeah. bones need calcium. So they yeah. sing Sam Bone. Sam Bone plays calcio. <laughs> so it goes down a tree. I think you must know about it at this stage. Yeah. So the shawzy goal. Yeah, the shawzy goal. Four minutes to go. Super left footed strike underneath the keeper. And once again, I think it was Dylan Motts who took the shot from outside the box, mm. causing the keeper trouble. And Shawzy was straight in there and you can see him turning the head, praying it wasn't offside. He was he was worried for ages. He was, he was like this for ages. He was looking at the yeah. line thinking that's everyone this was, better stand. Everyone was hugging him and he was still worried that it was it was offside. But uh, that's what we need is yeah. a predator and I'm delighted they got yeah. another goal because Shawzy's still one of our main men. Yeah, I was watching the Despite back. Despite what some fans say, I still have a bet going on. I bet on Shawzy to get 20 plus goals this season. He just needs another 18. <laughs> I, I, think he, I think he'll get a lot more, to be fair now. Yeah, I was watching him back earlier, though, like how fast he runs into the box after what's his. Like the ball has not even left what's boo, and he's charging towards yeah. the keeper. That's Hungry. just a, that's Hungry a sign striker, of confidence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, like you said, the ultimate professional, anytime we've ever dealt In with. In fairness, Carr has not often been there to do that. Maybe he's come too deep not be there in time or something sometimes I think yeah. Carr's runs are too good his 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 his, his vision is fantastic like he'll get in behind the defender and it's just we haven't got the the ball, the ball just isn't there to be given to him his runs are excellent mm. so sometimes he finds himself in an offside position because his run is too quick and too good you'd and always be conscious of that wouldn't you Al? like the follow up yeah. I feel we don't actually do that enough follow up any shots yeah. from outside the box yeah because Dylan Watts is lethal from there so mm. But we had Brazzer, he said Dylan Watts has already made us a better team. He said, speaking on Shaws, he said that he keeps his head down and was ready to take his chance. His attitude has been brilliant. As a manager, it's exactly what you want around the place. You want players angry and disappointed when they're not playing, but you still need them to be professional and ready, which is what we, we spoke about Shaws. He was, a, like we said, the consummate professional. And uh, we're going to play the part of the interview Gary Shaw did after the game. Now, two goals in two games off the bench for him and talking about getting his confidence back and wanting to stay at the club. You came on super sub again. Another goal, talk us about that one. Yeah, look, I was just waiting to come on. I thought it was it. I was saying to Davey and Kev on the bench, I was like, if I get on, I'm going to score. I just had that feeling. It was, it's, it's crazy what a goal does for you. And I just felt that that's what I needed. It's been a tough season. It's been a long season um, for me. Uh, I've had ups and downs, more downs, but it's... Uh, it was just that one goal I needed and felt last week uh, really you know, got my confidence back up and it's funny how it is as a player when when, uh, when things are going your way you just feel like you're going to get on the end of something and it was a, you know, a goal that people probably wouldn't think I'd be scoring a poacher's goal um, but I thought it was quick to react to the keeper spilling the ball and um, yeah, just the way it went in I thought it was, I thought it was offside for a second uh, if you watch it back I thought for about three or four seconds I was offside for whatever reason, I don't know but then all the lads kept running to me, so I knew it would count, and that was the game sewing up, thank God. You even got your own team music played? Yeah, that's, I nearly started singing myself. It was, uh, it was strange. Uh, now, look, I don't know what that was all about, but uh, the fans quickly jumped onto it and got the Gary Shaw chant going, which is funny. 
So tonight at Poacher's goal, last week's goal, a header, a really low cross. Most people wouldn't even expect you to head that ball, but quite brave. Yeah, well, I was saying to the manager in Glen, they were saying to me, no, it's the one we work on in training, the headers and the ones near post, but the one I was thinking of was uh, it was actually the ball in, a replica of when I broke my arm. And before Sam whipped the ball in, that's what I thought. I just had a flashback to Bray. Of if I go for this, the defender's going to land on me again. And... Uh, it was actually great for my head because it's something I've been thinking about all season and obviously it was a bad injury and I can, you know, some of the things that have happened this season have been down to that but um, I was delighted to get the to get the, the goal in Walford because it's really kind of just gotten me past that stage of thinking about my arm anymore, you know, jumping into tackles and diving on the ground and players falling on me so it was a big mental barrier to get over and people obviously on the outside won't realise that but for me it was huge and I was just delighted that that goal went in because I've kind of just forgotten about it now. The gaffer had a flashback to Bray as well because 10 minutes before that you were down injured and you weren't actually moving for a while, people were worried. Yeah, I, um, I, nicked, I got in front of Webby and nicked the ball but he tripped me up and I, I went straight head first, forehead first straight into Paul Keegan's knee and I watched it back and I didn't realise how quick he fell I, I chopped him down but... Uh, I knew, my, I knew myself that it was okay. Obviously, you know, doctors and physios come on and they have to go through the procedures and all, but the physio was just telling me to just stay still and just don't move because he thought there was something wrong, but I knew it was fine. Um, it probably looked worse than it did, but uh, I knew I'd be going back on. I just needed a couple of minutes to, to get myself right again. And look, I'm glad I did because... Uh, you know, you don't get the goal if you if you didn't go back on. We saw in the media this week that there was interest interest in you from other clubs, but you wanted to stay and fight for your place. Yeah, there was. I'm not going to lie about it. Um, I, I had, there was plenty of interest there, and obviously when I wasn't playing, I was in the stand and stuff. Clubs were jumping all over, and you know, I had numerous clubs on, and I just I just said no. I want to stay at Rovers. I told the manager that, and he knew, and I just said, look, I love playing here. I love all the time I've had here and I want to continue playing here um, for as long as I can and it just came at the right time it just seems to, to happen my dad was saying to me he just kind of had that feeling if I got a chance I'd score and, uh, and I did and I'm glad to follow it up again with another goal Yeah so in- interesting how the injury was playing on his mind you're aware of the injury he suffered in Bray I last really year I knew about it because we just happened to be working in the gym one day and I, I could see the scar on the back of his arm scar. It's, it's visible um, well he had his t-shirt on and the, his arm was up above his head yeah. so the t-shirt sleeve had kind of rolled down so I'd seen the scar run up his arm and I just was curious and just said like what, what did you do to your arm and I didn't know about it and he, he sort of told me what happened and how bad it was and it just it's a strange break though isn't it usually yeah. you break your forearm yeah. for you to break your upper arm is must have been some amount of force and you could yeah. see it was riding in pain and I think he had an operation within <coughs> there's still there's still steel in it. I think there will be for the foreseeable as well. He came back a month ahead of schedule, didn't mm-hmm. he? He was working hard. But us yeah. fans don't really think about those things. Injuries like when we watch strikers we're thinking like how good is he at a one on one? How confident is he? Should he be playing or not? But Charles went into detail there about how that injury had been playing in his mind and when he went there for that diving header, he says he's actually put it to bed now. Oh yeah. Because he scored that. So now he's not thinking about the arm anymore. And even saying that, this yeah. like Shawzy last season was wearing a mask. We had him in Johnny Blues and he turned up with the mask. And he had, a, I think, a cracked... He broke some sort of bone in his face just because he puts his life on the line most of the time. <laughs> gets stuck in. So this fella is... is con- he puts his life on the line for Rovers. That's what, that's, that's what we want as fans. And did you notice when uh, Watts scored and Shaw scored, their team music was played? 
So when Watts scored, it was, I want to be like David Watts. When Shazzy scored, it was uh, Daddy, Daddy Cool. cool. Shazzy's known as Daddy Cool to the fans. I asked him about it. He said he liked it, yeah. He said he was almost singing away to himself. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they put out, um, Connor put out on Facebook for fans, any any more suggestions for songs? Like, if, say, if Finner scores or Car scores. What or, if Big Al goes up for a corner and yeah. scores? What, any requests, though? Uh, have you got a favourite song? <laughs> can't think of anything. <laughs> I'm sure we'll take a song then. But uh, we had a couple of results as well that went our way. This was uh, it's quite the last two weeks. I mean, even even last Friday night, it's Sligo losing, you had Waterford losing against Cork. Yeah. And it's it's just going our way now. It's in our hands. That's that's why we that's the way we can say it now. It's in our hands. We can go on beat Rotherham in the cup. Hopefully, go on and beat Bowes and then just go on a good streak because we are on a fantastic streak now. And the results were as follows. So we had Friday on the 27th of the 7th, 2018. We Derry 2 beating Pats 2-1. And there was a big mill up at the end of that, wasn't there? Four red cards. Was that three? But either way, we were just happy that Killian Brown missed the penalty. <laughs> that was the best part. And uh, slipped for their goal. He's a bit of a hay figure within the Rovers fan base, Al. Uh, Bray Wanderers lost 3-1 at home to Cork. With Limerick beating Waterford 2-1 in a shock result. And an absolute belter from Duggan. To win the game late on. Limerick played nearly that entire first half with 10 men. Yeah. Then Webster was sent off, so it was so level. They go to 90 minutes, they had 10 men, they beat Waterford at home. And Akinadi had a shot that was clearly over the line at the end, but wasn't given. And it was ruled out, yeah, it just made it even sweeter. So on the Sunday, then Dundalk beat Bowes 2-0. And then the week after, we had Pats beating Bray 3-0. And we Derry losing 2-1 at home to Sligo. So they're in a bit of free fall at the moment. Sligo, considering we beat them fairly comfortably if you look at the second half mm. they actually have the third best away record in the whole league yeah but they still can't they can barely win a game at home I think Grant they went the first eight games they win a home game it was something along the lines that was really they're, they're playing more away games than anyone because they've got this weird run now where they're not playing at home yeah they've got six wins away and then Limerick went to Bowes after a fantastic 2-1 win at home to Waterford they went and they got a hockey 5-0 by Bowes so it's a strange one mm. Football's a strange old game. And then Waterford, like you said, they got beaten 2-1 with um, Cork City taking the three points and looking to take a march on Dundalk. Noel Hunt got his first goal for one. Noel Hunt got his first goal. See the step-overs? Uh, yeah, the and uh, he kind of deceived everybody by just putting it down to the bottom left. So mm. it's a good finish by uh, Noel Hunt. 16-year gap between his two goals for Waterford there. 16-year gap. Could be a record. Huh? Like your back-to-back uh, clean sheets for over seven years <laughs> between them. Even I wouldn't tweet something like that. I draw the line. I draw the line and stuff like that. But as for our stats, uh, six clean sheets in a row: four for Gavin, two for UL. And uh, I think I mentioned in the previous show, first time we've done that in a single season since 2006 first division. First time we four goalkeepers then, didn't we? No, it was the previous. Was it the previous one? First time we've done it in a single top flight season since 1984. This is why we call him the prof. The stats. Yeah, so 16 points out of a possible 18 in the last But we predicted six. this at the start of the season. We said we're going to have a strong third series. That's what I predicted anyway. I said we're going to... Eventually we'll end up playing well and we'll have a really we strong third series. it will coincide when you came out. We were convinced our first five, six games yeah. would be brilliant and fairness. Everything was just... It was on. Yeah. It was just leaning on when you came. Okay, you didn't play in all of them, but still. So after that, <laughs> we were proved correct. Our first six games. Like, when yeah, you but came. when Al comes, we yeah. get like twenty-one points out of seven games. Keep six clean sheets. So was Dundalk and Cardiff a good or bad thing? Because 
I say Would that have been us beating them instead of Cove? You know, it could have been like that. I wouldn't have fancy going there with, with makeshift fullbacks because that's often their our problem yeah, playing the dock. Duffy. Duffy kills us. So I like that Sean Cavanagh and Ethan Ball have time to recover now before we play them. Yeah, possible blessing in the skies. We still don't know when that game is going to be rescheduled, so uh, we will just deal with the schedule the way it is at the just moment. And uh, in Europe, we done Dundalk, they were uh, hammered 4-0 by AEK Larnica with a couple of very suspect defensive errors. Um, did you see the goal Sean Hall was out of position for? Did you see the game? No, I didn't. There was... It, it was nuts. For, like He just ran away from the ball. The ball was coming towards him. It was a cross-field ball from, let's say, the rifle of AK right yeah. yeah. And he, he stepped in, but then he stepped out and just ignored the ball. And then their strikers went and said, nice one, I'll have this. And just and just tapped it in. Like it was, it was, was. And then he got taken off at half-time along with Dan Cleary. Dylan Connolly Dylan and Dan Cleary got taken off. So. I don't know if you were aware of this, Al, but when... This was, uh, it was Thomas' last game. We lost 5-2 to Dundalk. And Dan Cleary scored one of the goals mm-hmm. and he ran to the bench and uh, was kind of liberally running past Bradzer and the fans now. And then oh, he tweeted... His ears out, you know. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah. he tweeted, uh, doubt me now, because we had him on trial okay. earlier in the season. So this feels a bit sweet for us now. <laughs> of course. half time. Rovers fans got online and said, yeah. no, doubt me now. I think there was plenty of memes going around of, do you ever see when someone gets hooked off the stage? <laughs> at half time and he was he was the, the victim of that one and then the Cove winner was played between him and Fallen in the League Cup semi-final so not good so it's all swings football really is a bit not of swings around the rest, Mr. isn't it not good week for Mr Cleary <laughs> only him and Connolly played in both games against against Larnica and Cove and did you see the, the, the Cove lineup was completely um, second, second team you could say so they did take a chance and we had AIK, our opponents, they went out to the Danes. And Dean Ebby, a former hoop, put TNS through against a Gibraltar club. So he scored in the Champions League, in the Europa League as well. Mm. And uh, <laughs> so he's, he's doing fantastic stuff with mm. TNS. They'll be dancing in the streets to Total Network Solutions tonight. Total Network Solutions, or, or what's the, the new Saints as they were re- rebranded. <laughs> and 46,000 at the Aviva for a meaningless Chelsea versus Arsenal friendly. 11k attended domestic games in Ireland in total that weekend. So, actually, I'm interested to get your opinion on on this. Uh, what can the Irish public or even the FAI? What what can we do to improve the attendances? I mean, Saint what Saint Johnson? Did they get how many? What was their average like? Their average is probably around three and a half thousand. Right. Um, if you get uh, Celtic and Rangers, then it's you know pretty full. Then obviously six, seven thousand or whatever. Um, Hearts and Hibs, you get four and a half. Dundee teams, four and a half, five thousand. Um, but then if you get like uh, Ross County or Inverness um, kind of teams, it'll be three thousand, two and a half thousand sometimes. Anyway. Yeah, and they they actually find it hard to get. Um, people in as well it's something that they always talk about that they what can we do to get more people coming into the games because uh, a lot of the local people then um, the place is called Perth um, a lot of people from there will go down and watch uh, teams in Glasgow and right. support Glasgow not too far from Glasgow um, my job yeah. is not great in Scotland it's an hour and a half um, an hour and a half so a lot of people from Perth would uh, not a lot but some people will go down um, and support Rangers or Celtic, and um, and rather than their their local team, which is one of the one of the problems I think they have. But they've tried a lot of different things to get more people in, and 
the funny thing is as well that um, we got into Europe quite a lot and when we did in the European games the stadium was almost full and it was always full of pretty much um, Scottish people because you know there isn't a lot of people travel away from for the European games you get some but but not loads so the stadium would be full of people coming to watch our European games and we'd done alright in them and then the league would start a few weeks later and the attendance would be right the way down again to I genuinely don't get it and and I really don't even when it comes to the league world I just can't understand why, why people just don't give it a chance but I, I think it's just the glamour of the Premier League and the comfort of sitting in a pub people just genuinely don't want to give it a chance they don't want to see the joys of following your team all over the country and the heartbreak and the joy and the contrast of emotions that 90 minutes brings following the team that you love they just I, I genuinely I think I think Owen Rice spoke about it and he says why, why, are you, why are we even bothering to try and convince people anymore let's just enjoy what we have let's just enjoy Rovers you don't have to try and convince people to start coming along anymore which funny enough we are doing because we have this thing called League of LOI Curious where we're, we're trying to convert a bar stool or what we could say we're going to bring to a game show them the whole experience tell a stadium at the derby and just interview them beforehand interview them afterwards and just see what they think it's just a, an experiment more yeah. than anything just to see how we get on and see if they mm. genuinely enjoy it but it's just the eternal question within the League of Ireland is just how can you improve attendances and well it's the people paying that much for a ticket to see a second string Chelsea or Arsenal team play at the Viva a meaningless game I think there's no hope for those people myself yeah played at a half pace and just to get minutes under your belt really but like th- these guys will probably analyse this game to death for the next six months and talk about it they could, it could even have an effect on the league for them you know it's just one of those things but it's uh, we could be here all day talking about it but um, so that was uh, 46,000 46,000 people <laughs> just to a meaningless rate I just don't get it but we had a lot of underage results to report since a show a couple of weeks ago and uh, the under-19s went out of the end of McGuill Cup quarter-final. Dean Williams had equalised for Rovers, but he lost 2-1 to Limerick at the Roadstone. Unfortunately, Dean Williams is banging them in. He's looking very impressive for the 19s, and they won 3-0 away to Kevin Teeley. And another two goals for him and Thomas Alua got the other. And the weekend after that, they lost 3-0 to Cork City at Tala. So the 19s are starting to struggle a little bit. Have you checked out any of the youth teams yourself, Al? Any the youth teams? Yeah, any players standing out? Um, well, I haven't seen um, a lot of them except the goalkeepers, really. Um, mm. Obviously, Gavin and then uh, Keane Clark. Um, Hearing a lot of good things about Keane. Yeah, I think he's he's very good as well. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's impressed me a lot actually. And you know, I think he can keep progressing and go on to good things as well. And probably no one's talking about him because of Gavin Bazunu. Yeah, from what I hear, he's very highly rated. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. And with with what Gavin's been doing and the plan playing in the first team and and, uh, and that's a, a massive thing and you know Gavin deserves everything that he's he's been getting said about him because he's done so well in the games but that's not to say that Keane couldn't have done you know the same thing but Keane is the number one at his, at his international level as far as I'm concerned or as far as I know he, he was meant to play in the Euros yeah he was number one he, he was injured. injured Yeah. and then there was that controversial penalty instance yeah and um, but with Keane as well, as I say, I've trained with him a lot. But he's he's very very good with his feet as well. Yeah. And, and talk, you know, we were saying about how um, people look at that a lot more, especially with younger goalkeepers. He, he's he's very very good with his feet and also everything else. But you know, he he has impressed me as well. So 
And then we had the Seventeens, they lost 4-2 to War from Talib. We had Odeni and Ola Kanye got Rovers level at one all. And then 2-2, two, two, but Warford scored twice in injury time and they took the three points. And then they won 1-0 away to Cork in a fantastic, tough, tough game down there. And a midweek fixture last week, thanks to a late goal to Jordan Talon. So they're still well clear at the top of the table. And then we had Duffers, Charges, 5-0 in Mayo, Sinclair, O'Connor, Caffrey and Banya. And then on Friday, Duffers boys won 3-1 on Sligo, Oshin Hand and a stunning goal by Rolando, <coughs> Banya and Sinclair Armstrong. So uh, did you see the Roland Banya goal? I didn't. You want to check this goal out. He's uh, pirouettes on the edge of the box, completely skins some guy <laughs> and then buries in the top corner. It's fantastic. Lukey Bourne tweeted and he said, that's probably the best goal I've seen live. Yeah. And it was he a works fantastic, in the 15s, yeah. fantastic goal. So, and then the fifth round of games in the Amputee League took place down in Cork. Rovers bounced back from a 3-0 defeat to Balls to beat Cork in their second game of the day, 3-1. So the boys are finally getting a couple of results under their belts there. And uh, Gavin Bazunu and Dylan Watts were both nominated for July Player of the Month and Joel Coustron won the club's Player of the Month for July. And I'm glad he won that now, because remember I was saying for June, not that I would begrudge Gavin winning it, but I thought... It didn't happen in June. Yeah, I, was, I thought Joel was by far our best player in June because the, the penalty save was in July and Gavin, he was very impressive. He didn't actually have a lot to do in the June games and Joel was amazing. So I was kind of like, oh, no reward for Joel. Then. So then he won the July one. So Joel wins a 100 euro voucher for Peachtrees who are still kindly sponsoring this show. And uh, have you ever had some of our grub, Al? No. It's quite the superfood spot. So considering... All the lads in Fair House in the house used to say your body was a temple. You, you certainly <laughs> would enjoy it. <laughs> so check out Peachtree East. Don't forget they still sponsor us and they do fantastic rub. We always recommend the beef cheek, don't we, Prof? Oh yeah. And uh, the Rovers AGM, very important, will take place on Saturday, September twenty ninth at twelve a.m. So uh, lots of business to go through there. Twelve p.m. Should be very interesting. Yeah. Noon, in other words. Noon. Sorry, yeah. And of course, congrats to Leighton Doyle and Mags on getting married. They're off in Kruger Park now, I think, in South Africa. So that's a, one, of a, one of the most uh, notable Rovers fans. So they're off having a crack in Kruger Park. And congratulations to them. Some put up a video of uh, the band Manila Strings. I saw that, Manila Play, Strings. Playing Build Me Up Buttercup on request. So get them in today's 99 bar, that's what I say. Yeah, I'd say so. We'll have to get Mark onto that. Give Dan Fulham a break on the next. Yeah. And... Uh, Another quick note on a fan, Sean O'Connor, who uh, you know writes for Hoop Scene, and we interviewed him on the show earlier this season. He's written a novella called The Mongrel, and this is about a couple stranded in a snowstorm in the Wicklow Mountains. So check out seanoconnor.org for more info. Quite a horror buff myself, so I'm going to be picking that one up, supporting the, the Hoops cause. So fair play to Sean. Put Al down for a copy. Put Al down for a copy, yeah. Put him for three or four, yeah, one and a half. <laughs> but, um, so you scored a goal from the run of play as well. I didn't know this, Prof. Not many goalkeepers can say that in a match against Oma Town 2003. Surely you remember that one. Yeah, I remember it, of course. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, it was a run down One of them days. It was... Uh, so all sorts went on in the game. I think we had a man sent off. So we were 10 men. It was quite early on as well. It was at Windsor Park. Um, it was very windy that day and it had been raining, so it was wet as well. And... Uh, I had the ball in my hands and um, I just kicked it as, as far as I could, basically aiming for the striker, which was Glenn Ferguson, I think, at the time. Um, all I was trying to do was 
get a you know good distance onto the try and cause their defenders some problems. Um, and the wind just caught it as well. And um, did it bounce before going? It bounced, and the goalkeeper was kind of off his line. The goalkeeper did actually have a bit of a, a knock on his back. He'd taken just a few minutes before that, but um, <laughs> he was kind of, aligned. Yeah, he was kind of <laughs> off his line a bit with, and just kind of misjudged the guess, and it, it, it hit the ground and sort of skidded a bit with the, the wet, um, wet grass, and went over his head and went in, and it surprised me as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. What was the celebration for me? I would have, I would have just asked them to take off. Say I'm done. Take me <laughs> off. I'm done. Yeah, Career's my over. Career is peaked. <laughs> peaked. Yeah, I just put my, I think I just put my hand in the air and yeah. just kind of like, kind of probably turned around and, and as I say, surprise and people just started running over to me and it was kind of, <laughs> it was funny. And then the second half, um, as I say, we had been at ten men and then the second half. We ended up winning 2-0. The second goal was scored by Noel Bailey. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he played over a thousand games up there for Linfield. He was there for 20 years or something, like a legend, obviously, up there. And um, He was a sweeper, um, so he rarely scored as well, so it was funny after the game. Like the you and him yeah, scoring I said to him, like, why, are you, why are you copying me? Why can't you just let me have the glory? But it was, it was a, fu- a funny and good day for us. But uh, we're going to ask you now to compare and contrast Rovers and Linfield, where you played for nine seasons. Is there... As in maybe fan bases and just in general, was there much of a difference? I think there's a lot of similarities, as you say, with the fan base and the club in general, uh, in terms of expectation. And like Linfield is is the biggest club in in the Irish League in Northern Ireland, and Shamrock Rovers is certainly the biggest club in in the League of Ireland. And um, yeah, the, it's, there is many similarities. Uh, you know, at Linfield, it's. Um, it was you have to beat every team, you have to win every game, you have to win every competition, um, and that's what is it. That's what is expected of you, and I think it's the same at Shamrock Rovers. Really, um, I know that supporters want all supporters want their team to win things, but I think there's a higher level of expectation. It's not just that the fans want it; it's that they expect it. Um, that can be, be a gift of course at times, can't it? Yeah, but you know what you're getting yourself in for as well. And if you don't want that, then I think go to another club where you can take the pressure off you and, and just maybe if you want to enjoy your football without that kind of expectation on you, then, then do that. But I think a club like this is for people who who want to always push and want to be the best and um, be true, yeah. has to show that it you know if you're not winning things and other teams are and that has to be in the back of your mind and frustrate you. And, um, my this is just my opinion, of course, but that's that's how I think think it is, and that's how it was. Whenever the last time I was here, when we had success, it was everything that we done was about winning the league and winning, you know, being successful. And like, if other teams were winning stuff, then that meant that we weren't, and you know, they were going to be getting all this glory and stuff that we could have been getting. And you know, we had that mentality that it was going to be us. And um, yeah, and so comparing the two, then yeah, similarities. I think the the supporters. You know, we'll we'll um, go and watch the games all over the country. You know, no matter how far away it is, and, and other clubs don't really do that just as much. Um, so it is very similar. So who's the biggest club on the island, Rovers or Linfield? Uh, I'd say that they're both joint. Kind of on the fence. Put the poor guy in the spot, uh, prof. <laughs> yeah, no, both both. You know, I couldn't say one over the other. They've both been. I've had good times at both, and they've both had a good connection with both. So. Um, yeah, so the infamous Fairhouse House, Chris Turner, Craig Sivez, Gary Twig, Billy Dennehy, and of course, Bucca Bailey was barred. 
I heard you barred him. Is that right? Yeah, I only remember him being there. Once he just he came running into my room and jumped on me and started... Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I think later on he was actually throwing food. So that's where he got the cast on his arm there, wasn't it? <laughs> and then he was throwing food in the kitchen, I think, later on. So, yeah, he wasn't allowed back in after that. And, uh, and what was it like in the house at the time? Was it a madhouse? Was it something you could look back on fondly? Yeah, it was. It, it was you know what you'd expect really. And Tommy Stewart obviously was there for for a period of time as well. So there was a lot of us in that one house. But two Ulster men, two Scotsmen, and a Kerry man. So yeah, starting a bad joke, isn't it? Yeah, recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, it, it was good. Now um, I wasn't there all the time. I I would have travelled back up home um, to my mum and dad's um, every couple of days. So I was there um, part of the week and up, up in Belfast part of the week. Um, but. You know, we had we had um, some good laughs and stuff, but then obviously five lads in a house or whatever, you're gonna kind of get on each other's nerves a bit and get sick of each other. So there was that side of it as well. But overall, it was it was a good laugh and bit um, of a motley crew. In fairness, I saw you out a few times. Roy yeah. Venue was a bit of a favourite. I remember. Yeah, <laughs> I must have been up in Belfast then. <laughs> when you signed for Rovers, obviously uh, Barry Murphy was was a big fan's favourite at the time. So. How did you approach the whole thing? Like, did you feel a bit of resistance from the fans initially because Baz was so popular and you were coming from Linfield and you had to kind of get them to, to warm to you? Um, well, I knew the situation. I knew that, um, that Barry was, was um, playing at the time and, and was very, very highly thought of within the club and by the supporters, which I completely respect and I understood why as well. Um, uh, Robert Duggan was here as well as a goalkeeper who I, I thought was excellent as well. So, um, so from my point of view, I, I joined the club and um, all I was going to try and do was um, try and do well in training and just, you know, if I get an opportunity to play, try and do well enough to stay in and, and contribute towards the team. And, um, you know, I, I completely understood that um, some people would, uh, would rather... Um, Barry stay on and stuff like that because of, of what he'd done and stuff and you know I completely respect that and so um, I can under, understand if people you know maybe didn't want me to be there and stuff like that but um, eventually you won them over big, big time you won them over well I, I, I was glad obviously how things worked out for me and um, I eventually I did get an opportunity and, and I think that I was able to prove that I was able to contribute to the squad and, and to the team and stuff and um yeah, and things couldn't have been better with the fans overall. So and we we all know about Michael O'Neill's legendary man management skills. I mean, he could that was quite the dressing room, and he he was able to control. And like like we did an interview with Walker Bailey recently, and we all know he was quite the wild guy. And he said that uh, he said Michael O'Neill just knew how to deal with him. He says he just knew how to deal. He said he was he, the only man. He said he was the only man. He said Dennis Wise, nobody else. He said he just knew how to deal with him, and. Um, how did he prep you for... T- like, he obviously brought you in to replace Murphy. That's the way it was. He was bringing you in to replace Baz. It was just a matter of time. Did he prep you beforehand? Did he say, listen, it's a big thing. Baz is a bit of a favourite. Coming in from the likes of Linfield. Did, did Michael O'Neill say anything to you as to, to prep you for taking the spot and any advice or anything like that, considering his man management skills? It was just a case of kind of what I just said in terms of um, that, that Barry was you know fan fan favorite and he'd been brilliant for the club and had a history with the club and um, so there was going to be that side to it and then it was he just kind of said like you know just wait and you'll you know work hard and see if you get an opportunity kind of thing which is what I had in my mind anyway and right. 
Because um, when, when we saw you coming in force, I just thought, well, he's going to be number one. Like, why else would you sign a goalkeeper? In front of Baz, like he, that, that's how we, that's how I felt at the time. So I thought, right, well, he's gonna play, and I, I thought he might have eased you in. I don't think you played a, straight away initially, did you? No, I think there was a couple of games where um, I would have been on the bench. I think the first game was Drogheda away, um, and then I think maybe Fingal. I think we played in the cup or something like that. Um, Once you came in, you were never out again. Sixty-seven in a row. No, right up until the middle of two thousand eleven. So you were number one constantly for what was that? Nobody was two taking, years. Nobody so. was taking that number one. But um, you mentioned Duggan. Uh, you didn't have a whole lot of other competitions, but you had, I think maybe Robbie Hughes initially. In two thousand eleven, he was kind of a reserve keeper. Pat Jennings came in at one mm-hmm. stage. Pat Jennings Junior. Yeah. yeah. And uh, obviously Ryan Thompson then, mm-hmm. who did replace you then. How was your relationship with Ryan? It was brilliant. Um, got on so so well with him, and uh, such a he nice was in guy. Johnny Blues. He was the first Rovers player ever in Johnny Blues. He turned up at Tom, my little mother's album in the background. He turned up at his eighteenth and just sat here for the night and have had a good crack with us. Just a lovely, yeah. lovely guy. And um, we always said that uh, in Daily Mount, he nearly tore the head off Dan Murray. So we said, "Who'd win the fight?" So what's your opinion? The squared circle, the boxing gloves are on. <laughs> Ryan Thompson or Dan Murray? Uh, let me think. Uh, I'd say that Ryan probably has uh, a, bit of, a bit of youth on his side compared to that. <laughs> That's the second person. Who else uh, said that? Aiden, Aiden Price said Ryan. No, straight away he goes on oh, Ryan. Ryan is going to kill him. <laughs> yeah, it'd be an interesting one, but I might might edge towards Ryan. But to be fair, I've never seen either either of them kind of <laughs> go at it, so it could surprise you. So uh, the roof is nearly fully on the the new stand now. And interesting, your debut for Rovers was the opening of the East End. It was a two all draw off. at home to Dundalk. We actually threw away two goal mm-hmm. two all, uh, two goal lead. It's actually my first Rovers game, mm-hmm. as well. Your debut was my first. Rovers I always game. mistake Griffin for getting those yeah. goals, don't they? Yeah, it wasn't Griffin, was it? I can't remember who scored them. Mark Griffin was playing for him at the time. He's actually a good player. Yeah, and um, and Twiggy scored, I believe. I think Stephen Rice scored. So what was what was so special about Twiggy in your opinion? Uh, as a person or as a as a striker? Um, I'd say give us both. <laughs> uh, as a Twiggy for us, as a, we'll, we'll give you a pitch. quick one. For as a person, for us, we we never knew him as a person. But mm. what we what I thought of him as a person was that he was a real football fan, and he understood what it was like to follow a club up and down the country. And he was like he I think he grew up on Celtic, Celtic away fan. buses, and he was a big Celtic mm. fan, so he knew what it was like. So he knew how to play to the fans. He knew when he was scoring goals. He knew that it meant something. And I think he just loved scoring goals. So give us your opinion you know, When Dan Kerr yeah. ran over to us in Sweden, the players don't often do that in fairness. They don't run over to the, the fans. Twiggy, That's all we want. Twiggy always goals. ran yeah. over to the fans. And sometimes the balls fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with Twiggy, it was, um, and as, as a player, just um, someone asked me quite recently who one of the, who the, the best kind of strikers would be that I'd played with, and I would say him. In, in terms of being the best finisher um, like if I was playing for a team now and um, you need to score a goal to whatever win the league or stay up or win the cup or whatever and uh, oh, you know, I had to choose someone to be in that position to score one on one or whatever or just end up in the box with the ball I'd choose him just because he's probably the best finisher I've ever seen um, 
and he just just a goal scorer. He just you know something that every club wants to have is someone who's going to score goals and someone that you know is going to if if they're in a position with a the ball, they're probably going to score. And uh, you know every every successful team needs someone you know who's going to score goals. So how was he in the dressing room? Was he a good character? He was. Yeah, he was a, a funny guy. Um, and good to have within the in the in the team, and I travelled up and down with him quite a lot actually from from Northern Ireland, so um, got on quite well with him. And uh, I think something for him as well that he was, you know, he had he he did play um, in England and Scotland and stuff like that, and then I think he was, you know, maybe in, in his head he wanted to prove things as well that he, he could play and, and that he could do certain, you know, he could score goals and that he could prove people wrong, and he had that motivation and. And that's he's certainly done that I think for the with Sean Grover. So it's the best best fifteen grand we've ever spent. <laughs> you did this interview in two thousand ten, and uh, presumably this was you said this tongue in cheek, but you said Twiggy, all he ever talks about is how he played in the Premiership and that he won Player of the Year. When he joins, I have to sit in the back as he has his Golden Boot Award in the passenger seat. Yeah. <laughs> did he get a golden award? How much fuel was in that now? Ah, no, it was just uh, obviously we, we all lived in the house, so we, anytime we done interviews, we would uh, we would try piss. and say stuff about each other, and then you, know, <laughs> you, you go back into the house and say, you know, wait till you read the the program this week, <laughs> see the stuff I, and then the other lads would be kind of worried about what you might have said about them, and you know, each person would take their turn and say stuff about other people. So, <laughs> right, so we're gonna. This is a tough one now. You might have to come back to it. Okay. But the best or favorite save of your career. Um, Copenhagen yeah. penalty was one for me anyway. It's Copenhagen talent penalty. Talent, it's not yeah. Oh. talent penalty. Yeah. Quite a um, soft penalty, but it had to be saved. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's different ways you can look at this from from a goalkeeper point of view, but I won't uh, go on about too, like too much in that. Oh, we like we like the, the mean, intricate uh, details of the goalkeeping philosophy. So, so you can look at it in terms of like what's the best save if you only look at it as the save, but then what's the save that like you know had most meaning kind of thing. And it gives both. So if you have both, for me at the at the at Shamrock Rovers, the one that probably had the most meaning was um, at. Um, against St. Pat's I think it was at home that they had a penalty I knew he was going to pick it I knew he was going to Billy yeah. Yeah. Billy Suarez yeah he handballed it and for, it was I can't remember exactly when it was in the season but it was uh, and I think it was an important time that we got Crunch something time. out of the game and it was it kind of you know we were trying to win the league and we couldn't let if they had scored I think they could have been you know quite close to us in terms of where they were in the league Yeah. so um, and he's I think it was Ryan Guy is that his name? yeah, yeah. Um, Guam International I think it was him that he hit the penalty and he's, he's kind of going for par. I've dove to my side and it's kind of hit me in around the chest area but it's gone out anyway and I think we, I can't remember the score, I'm guessing that we we won the game one, yeah. but um, so for in terms of like how much it meant, I always kind of say for a goalkeeper that if you make a save it, it makes it much better for you if it has meaning in terms of high stakes if you get something out of the game. If you make a great save and you get beat 1 or 2 nil, then it doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't mean as much um, so you kind of want to contribute towards actually getting something out of the game, and, yeah. and for me, I'd, I'd done that, and um, hopefully at that stage, it, you know, I'd only come in whatever amount the months before, um, but um, hopefully at that stage, I was able to prove that um, it was right for the manager to bring me into the club, and I, you know, I was able to play at the club and contribute towards things, and that was probably a bit of a turning point in in regards to that. Um, and then just if you're just talking about a, a save in general, then. I was quite happy with the one at Waterford and a couple of weeks ago yeah. and I guess for, for me it had meaning in terms of um, us winning the game 1-0 and, but then for me first game back I kind of wanted to make a bit of a statement and have a good game and, and I guess you know I, I was happy with that save 
Um, I remember a game against Sporting Fingal when it was here before as well, and I can't remember the score, but... Um, was it out there? It was at home, and uh-huh. I saved the header from uh, Gary O'Neill, I think I'm sure it was, from quite close in, and um, and I, I'll remember that one as well, but yeah. And what about the best goal scored against you? I think I um, might be able to predict this one too. I think we'll ask Ray Wilson, <laughs> Ray Wilson might not agree. Yeah, he's, he's talking about the Del Piero. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess it would be... Would be. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's a good thing that I've had a lot of good goals scored against me, but uh, <laughs> it's, it, it would be up there, obviously. Probably a good thing you didn't get your hand on it because it would have came off. Yeah, he would have lost yeah. the hand in there to retire. Yeah. But um, Price was saying, yeah, you wanted a big man wall. So I think it was the Price, Murray. Yeah. I think Brazzer might have been in there too. Yeah, I think we had like a setup for, yeah. you know, you had like a, the option of giving a, a normal size wall, which would be more midfielders, or a big wall, which would have been the centre halves in it if you knew the person or had a really good um, thought that he was going to shoot from there and I thought he was going to obviously and and the wall didn't help me in, in any way at all so uh, <laughs> but the movement on the ball as well uh, he's 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 hit it and it's, I've started to move one way with the movement of the ball and it comes back across and mm. you know as a goalkeeper you think you should never get beat from there and I, and I do think that but at the same time then I think well what, I hit the bar it, it, the way you hit the bar it was the, it was ferocious yeah serious pace on it like a but at least now I can say that Del Piero scored against me. So if, <laughs> yeah. he, if, he, if he hadn't scored, then I couldn't say that. So. And what were you thinking before that game? This game is it's one of my favourite games in Rovers history because it was just insane. The water, like, How did the game go ahead? Yeah, it shouldn't have gone ahead, really. If it had been like a normal kind of league game in them conditions, I think it would have been called off. It was just people probably just wanted to get it done. People yeah. had travelled over. People had flights booked. I think they had other commitments in the next few days and whatever. It was just, just you play the game no matter what. So, that, yeah, we, we got it done anyway. We've done quite well. I just have some quick fire questions here, yeah. Rob. Just get them out of the way. Right, I've prepared some of these. It's just a bit of fun, Al. So, um, your favourite goalkeeper of all time? All time, uh, definitely. Peter Schmeichel. Peter Schmeichel. Yeah. And uh, who was your football idol growing up? Probably the same question. Schmeichel again. Schmeichel and then also like Eric Cantona yeah and just you know quite um, similar to me and the prof me and the prof yeah were uh, yeah. quite fond of, of of the king obviously Harry Harry played but then um, he had that thing about him didn't he like uh, um, you know he had that thing about him that other people don't have and you know, people look at him in a certain way so yeah that there's is an aura about him yeah exactly now we've, these are these are all sorts of questions coming here so um, if you could choose a superpower what would it be <laughs> superpower um what did Shazzy choose? I think he wanted to fly. I think he said invisibility. Visibility, yeah, yeah I think it's creepy. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to fly. Maybe, maybe to be invincible or something that like you could never get get hurt or something. And yeah. You could do all sorts of things and like, and you, know, you wouldn't have to worry. How do you like your steak? Medium rare. Medium rare. Yeah. And you're banished to the desert island. Three possessions that you can bring. Shazzy brought a PlayStation Four, Fortnite, and I think his missus. <laughs> You had to say that probably, but uh, <laughs> three things. Um, so you're kind of saying, what could you not do without, really, kind of thing. Um, I, I bring a um, bottomless tub of peanut butter. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's so, so nice. Um, bottomless. Yeah. And that would keep me alive, obviously, as well. So um, That's a food else? sorted. That's a food sorted. Um, oh, I don't know about two other things now. Uh, a guitar. Um, that would keep, keep, keep me busy I, I try to um, uh, uh, that would give me something to do I guess um, and what else 
I could obviously say same same a family, but uh, you want you something go. more exciting? So than that peanut butter, oh, be safe, say peanut butter family. guitar yeah. is the family, and this is a tough one as well. Uh, we can go back to about four dinner guests alive or dead. Who do you bring? Um, I don't know. It's, it's I'm not really that interested to be. Um, I'm not really that interested in a lot of people like to, to even you know yeah find out stuff about it. I don't know if I can give you an answer because. Not really. Schmeichel at the front of the table. Not really. I mean, I, I, he was my hero, but I w- I'm not. I wouldn't be interested in like sitting over dinner with him. No, no, no offense to anybody, obviously, <laughs> but they they wouldn't want to sit with me either. But it's just you know, I'm not that interested in in sitting with people and um, finding out stuff. So. Uh, Ronaldo or Messi? Uh, we were actually talking about this in the changing room. Someone was asking me, um, and I said Ronaldo. Um, they said Messi. Who was I was talking to? Uh, I think it was Etho in the changing room we were talking about it. I think he was maybe saying about it, but I, I said Ronaldo because... Was this a heat debate? <laughs> he just happened to mention it. He was talking to the physio, actually, I think, about it. And then I, he was walking past me, and I, I heard what they were saying, and I asked him, and he said, like, Ronaldo or Messi. I think he said Messi, and I said, well, I think Ronaldo would do more for you. Like, Messi, obviously, both are obviously unbelievable, but Messi would play plays brilliantly within Barcelona, but would he play as well within other teams? Like, I could see Ronaldo play for a lot of Premier League teams as well and, and be effective, but Messi, maybe his style of play wouldn't be as effective because he's, he's kind of accommodated smaller. with Barcelona, maybe. Ronaldo will win headers and stuff and shoot from everywhere. He has that power side to it. He's, he's quick. He maybe he'll work back more all around, you know, but then... This is like the ultimate football question mm-hmm. of our era, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, Ronaldo made his Real Madrid... Debuted just before you signed for us, didn't he? I think, I think yeah. it was, it was and goal. Yeah, I, I wasn't here for the Real Madrid games. Our yeah. game. It was July. I think you did sign in July, maybe late um, July. I think I, I came just after, I think. Yeah. yeah, I remember the game. I wasn't here for it. Uh, I didn't come down and watch it, I mean, but I, I remember um, people talking about it and everyone mm. sort of said to me around that time, were you there for the Real Madrid game? And I said, <laughs> no, I wasn't. Uh, weights or cardio? Weights. Weights, yeah. And uh, are you interested in any other sports? Um, I liked um, UFC. I like to watch that. I, I have done for a long time. Uh, that would be what I'd be most interested in outside of, of football. Um, would you ever take would, it up? I used to do a wee bit in, um, when I was living in Northern Ireland. Um, uh, I was 18. I think I'd done it from 18 till about 23 around that time. I was doing some of that type of stuff and um, Thai boxing and then that's when it was kind of quite uh, not well known it was still a bit underground like the MMA stuff was a bit underground at the time and um, it, people had the wrong idea about it I think but um, there was only a couple of clubs so I, I loved it at the time because there was only like a, you know one or two clubs in Belfast maybe one or two outside of that in Northern Ireland and you know but now there's clubs everywhere they're popping up all over the place aren't they yeah and we, we had our group of guys and some of them were fighters and stuff and I, I loved that like it was uh, you know such a good time doing that like um, two nights a week I would have done that and then two nights a week training with Linfield as well um, so and it's safe to say, say absolutely nobody is going to mess with Alan Manis now. no no I mean it, not, not from that point of view I mean I would never get involved with anything it just just from the sport point of view I just, I just loved everything about it and um, you know I, I really missed it when I had to stop doing it but um, I still keep an eye on it and watch it and stuff like that it's still quite interesting to me and finally what's your favourite podcast um, the only ones I really listen to are um like stuff to do with training, like you said about weights or cardio. There, I'm uh, interested in that type of stuff. So I would listen to them type of ones. So not not even one specifically, but just we're stuff hoping to say to Tess from the East End, but <laughs> yeah. we'll let that one slide. Should have written down. Obviously, it's this one now. So. <laughs>
And uh, yeah, so we will move swiftly past the penalties. Yeah, we've obviously talked about a couple of the penalties there, but uh, there was a famous one, not that you saved, but you were in goal for, and that was the Bowes one in 2009. It's still travelling. And uh, I like this quote from Justin Mason. He said, uh, there was a lot of undue stick aimed at Alan Manis. We, we covered that. And that night, I knew why Byrne missed the penalty. Byrne put the ball down and he stepped back. And Manis did this, spreading his arms out. Mm-hmm. And uh, Byrne must have thought, Jesus, where am I going to put this? So that's, why, that's why he went high, going for the top corner. So that Manis wouldn't be able to get to us. But he ballooned it. And Jules, mentioned, Jules reckons that Manis made him miss that penalty. Do you know what, Jules, as we know, Jules has a photographic memory, so I'd say that's actually described to a T, and we all remember that, we celebrated that like a goal, yeah. that penalty, and it was, you, it just went so high and wide. And do you remember that 100%. night, the importance of that win was just unreal. Podge yeah. got a goal late, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, um, I didn't realise, I didn't remember that they had a penalty, I remember the game, um, it was my first game against Bohemians wasn't it, just your a, first not long after yeah, I joined, yeah. so I'd, I remember the game and um, I forgot that they actually had a penalty and that they actually missed it, so I forgot all about that, but yeah I remember the importance of the game and um, that we won it and stuff like that and um, you know they, they were the, the top team at the point at that time I think as well, mm-hmm. weren't they, so um, I remember Brian Murphy was playing for them as well. And, they did, you know, they had of, Deegan and Keegan in the middle of the park, him, so, and they yeah. had some good players. It was mm-hmm. just a sickener that we didn't go on and win the league after that win, because that put us in the driving seat. Mm. Fantastic season, it was our, our inaugural season in <laughs> Tallaght Stadium, we went on, drove them right till the very end, but we'll do a, li- a little bit more on Europe now, and uh, Twiggy had a quote in Tallaght Time, the prof, and McDara Ferris's book, he said, after the first leg against Benet Yehuda, he said, oh, you said, I can, or Twiggy said, I can remember watching the draw with Alan Manis and Tommy Stewart and when Juve came out, the three of us jumping around like <laughs> mad screaming. Does that bring back some memories? Yeah, I always remember that as well. Actually, I think it was, in, so in the house it was, um, Tommy Stewart had the room at the front and um, mm-hmm. I think he, he called us in. We were the only ones in the house at the time. The other lad must have been out, but he called us in and said, here, the draw is on at the minute and he had his laptop sitting there. So me and Twiggy and, um, and Tommy were sitting there watching it come out and we were kind of like you know just waiting to see who it was and then they come out and said you found this and we all just jumped up and like sort of put our arms around each other we're going yeah <laughs> and uh, jumping around it was so it was very very funny but obviously we were we still had a game to play to get through to there but so we knew what was at stake but yeah it was very funny when that came out and, and the dressing room after the win in Israel we uh, talked to Pat Flynn and Aidan Price about this tell us a little bit about that yeah, again, I've, I've said about this that I'll, I'll always remember the changing room after that game because, um, we again, we knew we knew what was at stake before going into that second game. We knew if we got um, got through that we were playing Juventus. And, but when we were over there as well, it was temperature was mid-30s. It was the most humid I've ever played in or probably even trained in. It was so hot. And um, and they were very, very good as well. Like one of the best teams I've seen on the ball. Um, so we knew we were up against it and just what it meant to everybody and you know so after the game anyway we've obviously done what we needed to do and got the result and it was a very difficult game and we've defended very well and um, coming in the changing rooms after everyone's just on a high and just um, sitting down I just remember sitting down looking around and everyone's just kind of still celebrating and, and laughing and the, just taking it all in right? just, I just took it in and like the you know the there's usually one person in charge of music and they put the music on and so the people were sort of like having a laugh about it and stuff and joking around and yeah it was just one of the best moods I've seen in the changing room after after a game and I'll always remember that and were you involved in the 100 metre naked sprints <laughs> timed by Jim Magill? 
no, I looked. Uh, it wasn't. Was it Jim? Jim was the old one. I think Jim was, was timing them. He was. That was no. It was. Was um, that Bill Grade? He wasn't there at the time. Was, was that Bill Grade? That. Or was it Israel? Yeah. Right now. Well, I did. Uh, just happened to look out the, the <laughs> wee uh, peephole you have in your window because uh, I heard stuff going on in the corridor. I, I'd gone back to my room at this point and I heard something and I looked out and opened the door and then there was. Someone running up the corridor naked and someone was timing them. But I, I won't say names in case you get anyone in trouble, but I think they might have had trainers on and that was it. But, yeah. Not what very trying. Not a good thing to open the door to see. What about the night out in Israel? Because Edo said that's what you were practically celebrating. Not even so much, we've got you, Vey. It's we get a night in the town. Yeah. <laughs> Flights not till tomorrow, we can yeah. go on the piss. Yeah, we, we obviously had that. You could kind of celebrate a bit and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it was as much kind of celebrating what we'd just done and what we were going to do more than having a night out so uh, obviously everyone was in a, in a brilliant mood and yeah it was a good laugh so I just like the typical Michael O'Neill result nicking a win over superior opposition and then we still doing it with Northern Ireland he's just making just the Michael step O'Neill constantly yeah. my mm-hmm. favourite manager of all time like even the goal he scored Tommy Short like I, I remember him talking, talking about that goal all the little details the, mm-hmm. the what did Royster do? Royster wiped it with the ball boy, didn't yeah. he? Mm-hmm. He grabbed the ball, wiped on yeah. the ball boy, whipped it. Who got the flick on? It was uh, Sivis or was it one of the centre halves? One of the big maybe? boys, anyway. Yeah. And then the torn and finished by Tommy Stewart. No, Neil always talked about subs as well. Yeah, he, yeah. He was always like, it's a 14 man 14 game. 14 man mm-hmm. game, yeah. yeah. Just 100% right. And uh, another one that we talked to Proyster about was the mix up with you in the last few minutes against Spartan Fingal that nearly cost us the league. Do you remember this? What's your memories yeah. of that? Yeah, I remember the the goal obviously, and you know what we felt like after the game and stuff like that. And it was just one of one of them things where you know, it's a bit of an awkward kind of ball, but obviously it should be dealt with. And um, you know, me and Aidan spoke about it after, and we kind of spoke about what we should have done after. We don't need to go into that now. We we were both in agreement with you know what, what mm. we should should have done. And yeah, it's like one one goal can kind of almost cost you the the season in a way and well not that it was one goal because they scored again but you know it kind of it led to that but um definitely yeah. silent in Talisdale after that goal and it was like a yeah, mark. yeah i mean you, you have some some um some ups like as in terms of highs and you have some lows and that was certainly one of the lowest times i'd i'd felt in my career and i've had other times where i felt like that as well but that was certainly one of them as well and you kind of feel like <laughs> You know that's it and stuff, and you know you can't I feel responsible. And, to be honest, yeah, but in a way, then that something like that happens, and then it gives you more motivation to kind of go on then in, in the future. And then a few weeks later, was Edo the most relieved man in the Carlisle grounds because it was well, he was man the match mix, against Pat. Yeah, it was his mix up with you, and we finally get over the line against Bray, and you actually managed to save right at the end at two all from. None other than Gary Shaw. Gary Shaw. He almost yeah. scored and yeah. crosses the league. Yeah, I, I didn't. He did score that day as well, though. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He told me that a few weeks ago. I didn't realize he was he was <laughs> playing in that game. He said to me because we were training and they were working on crosses and headers and stuff, and he'd done one and he, he flicked <laughs> on the header and I think I'd, I'd saved it in training, but he said to me that was just like the one at the Carlisle grounds and he said like, what do you mean? And he said that was me that scored against you, and he said about it. And so we we chatted about it after that and. We're talking about the game, and I said, like, yeah, you had another chance to score later on, didn't you? And like that would have, you know, ended it for us. And yeah. Twiggy score from the most acute angle as well. Nervy game, obviously, and um, hard game to play in because um, obviously, like, mm. the slightest mistake can end up costing you the the title, and uh, it is quite nervy. But like, 
champions have to play them games and come through them. So. Yeah. In the middle of 2011, you decided to go full-time with St. Johnson. So what pushed it over the edge? Was it uh, the offer was too good to throw now? Uh, the offer, not not in terms of money, but in terms of um, something that I'd wanted to do for a long time. And I looked at it as um, 15 years worth of trying um, to get over. And, you know, I, I was trying to get over the whole time from, from the age of whatever, uh, 15, 16 onwards. You know, I wanted to try and play in England or Scotland just to show that I could play at that level. So to me, it was, you know, all the work I'd done up until that point was what, what got me the opportunity. So it wasn't just a case of, you know, this up, you know, you've got this opportunity now. It's like the last, whatever, 15 years or whatever, what you've been working towards, this is, this is why you've got it. And, uh, it was just something that, as I say, I worked too long, too hard for to not, not take the opportunity. Yeah. And, uh, as I say, it wasn't about money or anything like that. Cause, um, you know, it was it was a case of just trying to get the, the chance to play and not not to play, but um to go over and then prove that you could play over there and and yeah, that was it. And you had to bide your time because you were a backup keeper to uh, Peter Enkelman, I think former Aston Villa keeper, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. So you joined the famous yeah. uh, slip the ball from oh, underneath his foot from, from the a throw in. If you didn't touch the ball, it wouldn't have counted. Yeah, yeah. just hit his studs. I think yeah, that's it exactly. So you joined in July 2011. We didn't make your debut until February 2012. So you had a bit of a wait there. Yeah, I knew going over that Peter was there, and Peter was an excellent goalkeeper, Premier League experience, and um, a really good goalkeeper, and and a a brilliant guy as well, Um, one of the best I'd ever met, and he tried to help me so much when I was there as well, which was a surprise to me, because I didn't expect that from from another goalkeeper, but um, yeah, I I knew that he was going to be number one, and he was going to play, and he he was very good, Um, so I knew I just had to try and wait and see if I got an opportunity at some point. and then towards like December, January time, I thought like it's not this isn't gonna happen here. I need to start thinking about what I'm gonna do in the summer because if it got to the summer and I hadn't played, no other team in Scotland was gonna sign me because they didn't know anything about me. Um, I hadn't played any, so they they knew nothing of me. Um, so I had kind of started thinking, what will I do when I go back, and will it, you know what kind of club? Hopefully, will you know get an opportunity at this kind of club and. I had started thinking about that and kind of planning it in a way. Um, and then it got to February um, and we had a derby game against Dundee, uh, Dundee United. And we got beat 5-1 or something like that. And they kind of put the blame on Peter for a couple of the goals. And uh, he said to me after the game, the manager said, be ready for Tuesday. Um, we had a cup game against Hearts in the, a replay. He said, be ready for Tuesday because you're going to play. Um, so um, we... I think we got beat in the end in the cup in extra time, 2-1. But that was my first game and I f- I'd done quite well. I felt it um, with what I had to do. And then just from there, eventually, um, I, I got to stay in. Basically, from there on, I'd, I'd done enough to stay in every game, I think. We kept a few clean sheets and um, I'd done the right things in the games and, and it just kind of went from there. So the rest is history. As it was say. just getting that one opportunity. And I've, I've said that the other goalkeepers, the younger goalkeepers, and saying like, just you need to be ready. Just it could be one one game that could be completely unexpected, but that could you know one game can change things around for you, and it can work the other way as well. For like, if you're in now, it can be one game that takes you out of the team, yeah. and it can like your career can just go downhill then. Like if you or or an injury, and that's why I think it's so important to avoid injuries and do what you need to do to avoid injuries. Because unless you're like a a bit of a superstar, and you know. You know that you're always going to get contracts. You're always going to get teams. Whatever, someone's always going to take you unless you're one of them. Like one injury can end your career. Basically, from it can take you out of full time football. Like if, yeah. if you get an injury and you're out for six weeks, someone else goes in, goes in and plays. Yeah. 
you might not get back in. It gets to the end of the season. Nobody else wants to sign you. What do you do then? You drop out and you drop down, uh, drop out of full time football, and then you know that could be so your opportunity yeah. gone. Mm. So it's like very fine, um, fine margins, and one thing can can take you either way. What's the longest you were ever out your injury? Um, it was probably like six weeks or something um, when I was at Linfield. Um, so not, just not too been bad. quite lucky I, I, then. My yeah. I've been fortunate. Uh, I think. I look at Touch it wood. two ways that it's it, it, there is that side of it in terms of being fortunate that I don't end up haven't ended up in um, getting a really bad injury but at the same time uh, I just said about avoiding injuries and um, like I do think that um, doing strength training and you know weight training really helps with that side of things and I've worked very hard with that and over your the shape years. has changed considerably <laughs> because like I said when I was creeping on you in the road stone <laughs> I, from behind I was thinking who who is this guy like, like he's he's massive and there was a picture of you side by side yeah your um, talent 2011 fat like the fat percentage has gone down considerably hasn't it yeah like even your yeah. face I know like, that I've, I've done that yeah but I mean I, I was still training with weights then but I just my you put that down to the full time setup no 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 um, I was always in charge of my own training because uh, I felt that um, certain things certain things would cause me um, I couldn't do certain movements in terms of tr- uh, strength training because it would just my shoulders would, it would maybe bother my shoulders and that's probably down to my body shape but then being a goalkeeper like landing on my shoulders every day for so many right. years as well but but I, um yeah I, I always i've always trained with weights for a long time but um it's, it's been really important for me to do that to to avoid injury and um i feel that that has really helped me to avoid injury um or else minimize like the the chances of getting injured um and for me, probably my biggest thing has been avail- being available for training sessions and being available for games over the last you know ten whatever ten years or whatever. Because um, you've been so fit. Yeah, yeah. If you if you want to call it fit, but it's just uh, that um, I can train. You know, I don't, yeah. uh, over the course of a season, I would look at the other goalkeepers and maybe they would miss um, a week here, uh, a week every now and again from whatever maybe a slight pull here and a niggle here, and I went through the whole season without getting anything, and I think it's down to that more than anything that I've, I've worked hard in the gym and um, I think it's really important that you do that type of stuff for me it's been one of my biggest things yeah. and um, you obviously kept one eye on Rovers in the Europa League group stage Ryan Thompson said uh, you were one of the first people to take some congratulations after Belgrade with that stunning save as well cat like reflexes and um, you still so you obviously hadn't still stayed in touch with Ryan and yeah, we gave him the show. We did for a while. I mean, we haven't actually spoke or texted or anything in the last um, retired now, couple of years. Retired about a year ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it used to be the only time I would spoke to him was on Skype. Um, when I had Skype, when I was in, in Scotland, I would have went on to, to speak to my family. And sometimes when I went on it, he always seemed to be on it. If you know what I mean, we were friends on Skype, yeah. and so we would we would call each other that way. But um, I didn't stop using Skype after a while and started using other things to contact family. So that was the only contact I had with him. Um, so it was a few years ago that I did speak to him. I remember speaking to him on whenever they were in Europe. Um, were they in Russia, where it was really cold? Yeah. Um, I think it was in Russia. Kazan. Yeah, I think I might have been there. I was speaking to him and he was saying about how cold it was. And, <laughs> yeah. and then I think I spoke to him. He's a Jamaican, so. Yeah, I spoke to him after that. And uh, I think he was in trial at a couple of places in Scandinavia and just chatting with him then and stuff. But yeah, like, lovely guy. And we, we got on really well. And I've been lucky that the other goalkeepers I've always been in this team with have we've got on really well with each other yeah I can only imagine if if, uh, if it was the opposite it could be a, a little bit uh, intimidating at times if you didn't actually get on with your uh, your opposite number like mm-hmm. 
But uh, you helped St. Johnson to their first ever Scottish Cup, their only major trophy in its 134 year history. So that must have been a massive occasion for the club. It was huge. Um, they're, they're, they're quite a small club over there um, compared to the other ones. And um, they only got promoted a couple of years before I'd gone over. And then they'd finished eighth, I think, the year before I went over. So um, they just went through that period where. Um, thankfully for me it was when I was there but um, and luckily I was a part of it all but um, they finished uh, top six I think six years in a row and got into Europe and then as you say they won the cup and the supporters uh, you know we, we knew what it meant to the supporters there winning the cup they'd, they'd never been to a final either um, so to do that not only to do it but we done it against the Derby team one of the Derby teams done the United yeah. so there was that side of it as well so but we had Aberdeen in the semi-final and um you know they're obviously a massive club, and nobody nobody gave us any chance of getting to the the final. I think there's talk of Aberdeen already having booked stuff for the final. You yeah. know, not not necessarily the team, but maybe groups of supporters or something. But whatever. But so we knew about that as well. But yeah, just what, what it meant to the supporters was was brilliant. You had Pat Craig there as well. Yeah, he came to Roberts just a year afterwards. Yeah, he came came over and actually stayed with me the first um, couple of weeks when he came over because I had been staying up in the place in Perth that the the chairman I think owned it. My first year there, I stayed in this place up near this near the near the ground, um, with another player. Um, and then at the start of the next season, I came back, um, and they let me stay there for the first month until I got somewhere um, that I was going to try and rent somewhere else. And um, so Paddy had come over and he stayed with me then for for a week or so. So I got on quite well with him and seemed like a jolly fella. He's in Scotland again. He's in Scotland I seen again. him I seen him in May. Um, oh, just before because we had a our end of season kind of thing in, yeah. in Perth and that's where he is now living. Oh, right. Um so I'd seen him there. I think he's playing for a team over there and sort of part time and studying and stuff like that. But yeah, he was a, a good guy and <coughs> I really liked him and he was a good player as well. So you said you understood the fans gone that long without a trophy so can you understand the Shamrock Rovers fans it's cup weekend it's been 31 years and we are the cup specialists are the players aware of this how much the fans want this cup uh, I imagine that they, they um, they're aware of it um, I'm hoping Braz is brushing up on his history I'm hoping he's letting us <laughs> know how, how in, important this is to it'll the be fans. in the quiz in a few weeks right yeah. <laughs> fair warning well I mean I've said earlier on about what uh, what the you know what the expectation is of the supporters here, and what what they expect of us, and I think people are aware of that. But again, it's it's well, kind of what I said as well is that if, if if we're not winning it, then someone else is, and we have to be looking at that and thinking, you know, that it should hurt us, and that it's not us that's doing it, and other teams are doing it. Like we we're good enough to do it. I've seen I've seen Dundalk and I've seen Cork now, and and other good teams in this. I haven't seen other other some of the other teams yet. Um, but based on that, I think you know there's no reason why we can't do that but you know it's, it's obviously difficult and the teams are very good as well that we're playing against so um, it's not a given but it's like you, you still think you know we, we know what we should be trying to you know be successful in these competitions 31 years nearly two Gavin Bazunas ago <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, by the way there is a precedent of uh, somebody win a Scottish Cup and an FAI Cup for Rovers Pierce O'Leary mm, won it for Rovers in 78 and he won it for Celtic that's the only one you can come up with. 85, yeah. Mm-hmm. And any other highlights at St. Johnson that you can think of? 
Yeah, um, we finished, as I say, we finished top six um, for, I think, six years in a row. The, the last season there was the first season that we hadn't done it. In, Who was that on time there? Um, at the start, it was Derek McInnes. He's at Aberdeen now. He, he left after a couple of months. Um, and then Steve Lomas came in. And, and done a, he was there for like a year and a half. And we finished third under him, which was brilliant. Got into Europe. Um, and then he left. And then Tommy Wright took over. And, and then the year that, that year, we won the cup. And we finished, um, I think we over the next few years, we finished fourth a couple of times and then sixth as well and won the cup. And so that for, that, for that period, it was successful. For, it's actually, yeah, it was actually quite a good period of time, Piet St. Johnson. It is a small small club in terms of their support support base. Not that the supporters are any less or whatever, but in terms of numbers. like are punching above the way, really, good say. The Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs, Dundee United, um, Dundee. And they a lot of them teams are certainly the, the first few that I mentioned are a lot bigger. Um, but um, yeah, it was really good to be a part of that all, and I really enjoyed my time there. The fans were brilliant towards me. Um, a cold hero now within the fan base. Uh, I don't know about that, but it was it was. Uh, I don't know about that. There's younger goalkeepers there and coming through, and you know, probably if I was still there, they probably I think they'd probably be thinking we don't really need to have that many goalkeepers there at the minute. So, um, but. It couldn't have been better towards me, and I enjoyed my time there. And just just to play, um, you said a highlight. The highlight for me was um, that second year. Um, whenever under Steve Lomas, we finished third, and for me that was that was my second season, and I'd only started playing in you know the the end of the season before that. But for me, I played every game that season, and for me it was about I proved that I could play in the Scottish Premier League and consistently as well about, it took me 15 years to get over there so when I, when I got over there I wanted to prove that I could do it prove to myself and prove to my family and people who believed in me and the last day we, we beat Motherwell 2-0 and that guaranteed third spot for us and guaranteed Europe and I thought I played every game and I've, I've proven that I've, I'm, I'm good enough to play in the Scottish Premier League it wasn't just one game it was like the whole season and contributed towards it and that was Quite a driven me. individual, aren't you? Well, that's motivation for me. When I look back on things, that when I think, when have you been like, when has things gone best for you? It's when you're most motivated. And what's your motivation? And I, for me, I think that's the most important thing. Like, what's your motivation for what you're doing? And whether it's playing football or your job or whatever. And yeah, I kind of think it it correlates how well you do with your motivation towards that thing. Mm-hmm. And that's that was my motivation then. So um, we're nearly done for today. And every week, me and the prof, we put our manager's hat on and we pick starting 11s and predictions. Do you dare drop Big Al this game Do he when he's sitting right next to you? <laughs> <laughs> or he drops me. Um, it's, a, it's a tough one this week because, as I said, speaking to some Drottle fans and... Um, there, he, he was on the fence about what they're going to do because he said they're at a crucial time now they can still make the playoff and he was thinking about as a fan he was saying they could drop players because their squad is quite tight and I said it's the FA Cup you have to go for it I mean it's a, it's a cup run like even Tim Clancy was speaking about a cup run at the start of the season so um Dan Clancy is a former uh, teammate of Al yeah, and St. Johnson. He, mm-hmm. they, you have to take it seriously, so I'm going to put big Alan Gall because he's really big now. So <laughs> I don't want to get put through a window. <laughs> no, um, and it all depends on injuries as well because we've still got, like, are we decimated with our fullbacks again? Sean Cabinet, we don't know if he's in. Could be too soon for Luke them. Lukey Bourne won't play, I don't think, because he's still in a foot race. 
Um, is Joey O'Brien fit? I think he is. We'll go. With, we'll go with Joey O'Brien being fit. Okay. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play Sambon left back. Because he's played every other position. Yeah. May as well just put him there now. Yeah, we can we can put him in. He, no, he played left full before. Remember he played any full oh, game at left full? It was in Cork or something. I think it was, and he did a job. But because we're kind of struggling with injuries, I'll have uh, Joey O'Brien right full, and Pico and Grace centre mid. We're going to go with a 4-4-1-1, an attacking 4-4-1-1. Um, central midfield has to be Watts, Finn, and I'm going to go young Aaron Boulder. I think I think he'd be able to take this game with a scuff of the neck. A lot of people want Greg in there, but I'm going to put young Aaron in there and I'm going to have Watts in the Greg's advantage. actually suspended. Greg's suspended? Yeah. Right, so there we go. Uh, Watts, I'm going to put him in an advanced role with Finn getting on as well because I feel like we can we can really push the boundaries of this one. I feel like we can attack. Uh, I'm going to put Joel Coustron on the left. And no, I'll put Joel on the right because Aaron Green on the left with, of course, Carsey up front. With Shawzy being a close second, but you say of course, but I'm starting Shawzy up front. You start with Shawzy. Oh, I think I think Danny Carr. I don't I think the unknown um, element of I don't uh, drugs not about him. I'm not going to be able to deal with him at all. I'm a massive fan of Danny Carr. I think me and Pat Martin are the two biggest fans of Danny Carr in the entire Rovers fan base. But for this game, I'm starting. I'm feeling, I'm feeling the super so, but I want to have a super <laughs> so on the bench. So, and I'm going to hope that Ethan Boyle recovers, and I'm going to stick Joey O'Brien left back. Joey O'Brien left back, yeah. And I was only speaking with a guy who played with Joey in the under-14s All-Ireland Drimna Castle winning team and he reckons he's wasted at centre-half. Apparently he was a striker up until he was 13 or 14. So um, so that is uh, pretty much the same teams but a couple of changes left-right and centre. But um, Really looking forward to this one, Prof. So, Drogheda are fourth in the fourth division at the moment. They're level with Shells and the two points off Harps in second. <coughs> so, uh, it's tough and tight in the second of, in the in the fourth division at the moment. With UCD are probably looking good to go up, and um, yeah, so it's tight for that playoff place. Have you any stats for us, Prof? Yeah, I'll rattle off a few before we go. I mentioned last time that Finn was just equal in Gary McCabe's. Who record. I drove by this morning in his Luke's Aid van. Yeah. You would have been you would remember Gary McCabe as well, yeah, wouldn't you? Of course. Yeah, he was drove by in his Luke. Looking look I think he noticed the rover's crest. And <laughs> he he shot me a look of disgust, I think. Did he get sent off last week? <laughs> he did, it was That's, reckless, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so remember he equaled Finn equaled McCabe's 170 league appearances. So now Finn can equal McCabe's two hundred and forty one overall appearances since Tad. What about the goal tally? So I think McCabe has more goals, is he? Does yeah, like 50, forty odd, nearly fifty. Fifty-three or something. Yeah. And uh, a great record at United Park. We've won fourteen of our last fifteen trips. Twiggy was the man in United Park. That's going all the way back to two thousand nine, FAI Cup. Do you remember his goal where he nicked it in the centre? Don't think I'll centre midfield. Joined DS bus. Sorry. Do you remember the goal where he nicked it in the middle of the park? And oh, yeah. pretty much ran all the way and buried it and then he had a couple of lobs and dropped it as well he, he really enjoyed scoring goals out there so that one defeat was obviously last year that horrific defeat where Graham Burke scored an own goal yeah and uh, so they've only ever beaten us once in the FAI Cup it was a famous 5-2 win at Milltown in 1971 so we've won all the other five meetings including the last one 2009 and a few ex-hoops in the squad got Gareth McCaffrey Richie Purdy, Luca Grasser, is a goalkeeper. Yeah. 
And you mentioned Tim Clancy. He was with us for half a season. Yeah, half a season, give or take. Yeah. He was struggling with injury as well. Their their first choice keeper is Paul Skinner. Remember him? Yeah. Um, he has wasn't a, <laughs> was there a funny stat with him as shells? He has a particularly bad record against us. He, his, his goals conceded against us was terrible. The famous one was we beat Shells 4-0. Or, uh, he was brought on. They was gave he? away a penalty four minutes into the game. Until, and Skinner came on. And then there was this dodgy back pass. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. You see it. So you can see the four that day. Skinner! So you can see it a crazy number of goals against us for like Longford, Shells, all of them. And I actually tweeted that he kept his first clean sheet just a few years ago. I was like, Paul Skinner has kept his first clean sheet against Rovers because he was subbed when we were playing Longford. Oh, he tweeted you. He was subbed me. after like 50 minutes. And then we scored two and won 2 nil. And I said, there you go. Paul Skinner's first clean sheet. And then he <laughs> quoted me and he was in bits laughing. Yeah. <laughs> so he's delighted with that anyway. They all count. And yeah, so that's it. Pretty much for today. And um, I want to thank Big Al. Don't forget to put your name down for buses. It's going to be trains, planes and automobiles. And uh, we're looking forward to this game. I just describe the scene now. Johnny Blue has walked in. This is Johnny Blue himself. Gary. Johnny Blue! Johnny Blue, the caveman of Oh, for the holidays! The caveman of Gary Shaw described arriving at this house. He says, I came to the house and then a man with a big long beard down to his feet answered. And he said, come on in. <laughs> Had a cup of tea. <laughs> this is what happens in Johnny Blue's. Yeah, so uh, we'll be on buses. We'll be all, all over the place. We'll be trying to get. Make sure you get to the game. It's the I, I told draw the fans we're gonna have a big, big gate, massive gate. So um, I'm expecting. I mean, who wouldn't go to the game? It's the it's the cup. It's the magic of the cup. I can't see anybody staying away. Just don't use any slogans. Yes, uh, the drive for. Uh, no, no, we won't go over it. So that's it for this week on Tales from the East Stand. Big thanks to Al. Thanks, Manus. Al. And uh, keep on helping. Thanks for having me.